Hello there, welcome to May Fight Club. I'm your host, Manny G. Today we're talking about Kamar Usman vs. Edwards, Part 3, UFC 286, the full card breakdown for you. We'll start with the prelims, work our way all the way up to the prelims, and then go to the main card one fight at a time, give you a full breakdown of each fight. We'll give you our prediction right at the beginning of each video for those that don't have a lot of time to look at the entire breakdown for each fight. Give the prediction nice and early in each part of the video. We also summarize all the picks at the end of the video with our quick pick segment. So again, if you're limited on time, just go to the very end of the video to our outro section. You get all the picks and the methods of victory within 60 seconds or less. Nice and compact for you. But for those who like the long breakdown, the thorough, the details, the stats, the stories, the background, the personal, we got you covered here over the next couple hours as we go through this entire full card with you. For those who trailed us last week, we got back into the winning column. UFC uh, Vegas 71 was a winning night for us. We finished up a couple units, so that was good. We're going to keep the momentum going here as we go into UFC 286. If you want a full recap of how we did last weekend, we do that recap on Sunday nights. So our Sunday night show is called Midnight MMA. That's every Sunday night from 12 o'clock a.m. Yes, 12 o'clock midnight on Sunday night, not Saturday night going into Sunday, Sunday going into Monday, midnight to two o'clock in the morning. So join us on Sunday nights. And if you can't catch it live, it's recorded and it's available on YouTube. Or if you're a podcast listener, you can look it up on your podcast in the morning on Monday. Look up our May Fight Club logo. Search us on any podcast uh, platform you use. You'll see all of our different episodes up there. We pretty much put all of our content from our channel up on our podcast as well. So you can catch it on the podcast as well. That's for our full review. We go over our entire tip sheet the good, the bad, the ugly, everything's fully tracked. And if you want to subscribe to our newsletter, which is free, that's another method for keeping track of how we're doing and following us and maybe showing some of our bets. Our tip sheets are available through our newsletter. Again, entirely for free for you guys. Very nice and organized. Details are all there for you. Enough talking about that. Let's jump into this breakdown. Here we go. Okay, next fight. Flyweight bout, 125 pounders, two females, Veronica Macedo-Hardy, as in Dan Hardy's wife. We'll talk about this because we weren't aware of that right away. We started diving into the breakdown, went to the Instagram, like, oh my gosh, it's actually the wife of Dan Hardy. So we'll get into that in a second here. Up against Juliana Miller, of course, you may recognize her from being the ultimate fighter winner last season. And uh, quite a big personality, attractive. If you follow her on the Instagram, she's uh, she's got some sex appeal, and she's also pretty smart. She um, does some commentating, does the regional scene and stuff like that. And if you haven't watched The Ultimate Fighter from last year, I would suggest going back. You get to know her a little bit. She has a bit of an edge to her, not in a bad way, easy to root for. And again, she has a bit of a swagger, a sex appeal. On the other side here, Veronica Hardy, uh, not for nothing, for a 27-year-old who's very attractive in her own right, her tapology photo doesn't show you, but she has bluish eyes, actually. And um, you'll see that on Instagram where she's got the dark hair, like that Sicilian look, dark hair, light eyes. Anyway, I'm off on a tantrum. You can tell I got off on the uh, physical features of these two fighters instead of the actual breakdown. Let me refocus my attention here. We like Juliana Miller to win the fight. I'm going to say probably within the distance, and I'm only saying probably because I worry that she won't be able to get her hands on Hardy. Hardy tends to circle and move away and, and try to keep at distance. Miller likes to grapple, does her best work on the ground, likes to ground and pound you, but if she can't actually get Hardy to the ground, that could be a problem. Now, Miller could still win. Hardy's backing up and like disengaging, and Miller's landing a few strikes. 
Um, but again, that's my hesitancy for how the fight ends. But I do like Miller here a lot. I think she's an absolute lock. The only wrinkle in all this is that it is the wife of Dan Hardy. And Dan Hardy's a smart guy, high fighter IQ. You know, he's fought guys like uh, George St. Pierre and had a run in the UFC and Cage Warriors. It's, he's retired now in the media. Uh, pretty smart dude. Ha has a good take on most fights. Has some breakdown stuff he does on the internet waves and YouTube, whatever else. I have to imagine his wife is probably got pretty good fighter IQ as well. So that's the one wrinkle, but that's like the, that's pretty much the only wrinkle here. So there are basics here. Miller's three and one overall. You got Hardy at six, four and one overall. Not very impressive. Barely hovering above 500. Hardy is from Venezuela, but if you go back to her lineage, like she grew up in the United States. So she was pretty much from Venezuela, but grew up as an American uh, uh, person, as a young lady, so on and so on. 27 years young, five foot four in height, 64 inch reach, giving up about three inches in height and about two inches in reach out of MA factory. As for Juliana Miller, who goes by Juliana Killer Miller, if you go to her Instagram, she has a lot of pictures of her wearing like the Jason masks, the hockey mask, and I guess she's a fan of Halloween. Um, three and one overall, minus a 435 to minus 450 favorite. Yeah, huge favorite over Veronica Hardy, who's like plus 325 to plus 350 range. Miller's out of San Diego, California, 26 years old in 10 months, about to be 27, so same exact age. We went over the sizes already. She plays, she trains out of 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu and Team Hurricane Awesome. If you follow her on the gram again, which we do to get more information about the fighters, not to stalk them, but she also makes the rounds at the UFCPI and I guess, you know, takes a few trips to, to Vegas and does what she needs to do. So all that said, let's go over the details of our breakdown notes here. Miller by ground and pound in round two. That's our prediction. We think she slows down Hardy enough in round two, gets her hands on her, brings her down. Now, this for Miller is going to be her first fight outside of winning her finale in the contender series. So you look at her topology. It says ultimate fighter win. Yes, she has a win in the UFC because she won the finale, but this is actually her first fight. You, you, you get what I'm trying to tell you, right? A nasty ground game fights with a bit of a chip on her shoulder. Um, you know, I say this with like all due respect, Ricky Bobby style. It's not that she's like a dirty girl, like she's dirty or like dirty underneath her nails. It's just that like she's got that dirty edge to her where she's like, you know, I, whatever it takes by hook or by crook, I'm going to kick this woman's ass in front of me. So when it comes down to like, you know, digging your feet down and like doing the takes, she's got that edge. I don't, again, I don't mean that to be like perceived as like she's you know um gonna do something dirty or try to cheat to win i'm just no no i'm saying that when it comes to digging down deep and going the extra mile she seems to have that in her i, I think talent wise <sighs> the ceiling might be limited with her but for now you know she's got the grit she's got you know she's got the gamemanship and and the personality whatever now <clears throat> consider this the ufc absolutely loves their ultimate fighter winners this is like their their holy grail. They want to see ultimate fighter championship winners from that show become the champs. Kind of like contender series, but now there's so many of them. It's like, whatever. But if the UFC can have ultimate fighter uh, winners become champions, that would be their first. <laughs> Second would probably be Asian fighters because they're trying to break it to the Asian market so bad. 
some win there is contender series. And the last on the group would be the fighters they sign off the regional scene from whatever for replacements. Those are the last ones that they want. They want the Bo Nichols. They you know they want the Jamal Hills. They want the people who've been through contender series. Or in this case, Juliana Miller. Don't you think for a second they didn't book this fight thinking, who can we give her so that she can, you know, get a win? So she's got that going for her. Um, Miller incorporates a nice balance of kicks on the feet, meaning kicks along with her punches, so she throws them in combination. Her wrestling is pretty good. She works towards dominant positions on the ground. She doesn't stay any any one spot. She'll actually work towards a full mount or to a side mount. She'll improve position, look for some submissions. In terms of height and reach, she does have a significant advantage in this matchup, and that'll benefit her both on the ground, looking for submissions, and also on the feet at range. As for Hardy, Dan Hardy's wife here. Mr. Hardy, who retired from the UFC, who's a very smart fighter, again, should be helping her through camp. I'm sure she's got plenty of good training, access to, again, everything that she needs. But here's some realities, some numbers we can't, you know, shake off. Three-year layoff for her. She's barely above 500 with 6-4-1 record. I mean, that one tie could be, or no contest, a five, and, you know, if she loses this fight, she falls to 6-5-1, and you get the drift. Like, she's barely hovering above that. She hasn't won a fight in four years. Now, all that said, Hardy <clears throat> knows the game. She reports in the game. If you go on to her Instagram, you'll see that she's commentating. She's cage side. She's smart. She knows the game. Surprised that she actually is trying to get herself back into fighting because she's she's close to it. She seems to have a career in broadcasting, but I guess she wants the heat. I mean, she's one in four in her last five fights. Again, rough stretch. Hasn't won a fight in years. She's been finished finished twice during that period of time. In our opinion, her striking is is uh, it's chaotic. It's it's a it's a bit Marab Devashvili like, but with no power. It's it's huge overhand rights. It's trying to close distance, but little technique. If she lands one shot, okay, we got something, but. She wouldn't know if it landed unless after she picked her head back up, she saw the person in front of her being wobbled because she's throwing these overhand rights like completely blind. She might feel it land, but land where the shoulder, the head, she wouldn't even know. She's throwing. And because her size deficiency, she's trying to close distance. So she's leaning in and throwing. I'd imagine, I'd imagine Miller should catch her off balance and get a body lock and drag her to the, to the ground and so on and so on. When it comes to striking, yeah, Hardy's not very good at striking. That that's not where she's good at, and she doesn't do a lot of wrestling. So you're like, okay, well, what? Her last fight, she lost to Bay Malecki, and Bay Malecki's what? Bay Malecki's Bay Malecki. <laughs> she's not very good. Um, so you know, from all intensive purposes, you know, it appears here that Macedo Hardy is is just being you know, laid out to slaughter to lose to the ultimate fighter winner. It seems like that again, though, it's just weird that she happens to be the, the wife of Dan Hardy. Notably, by the way, Dan Hardy's not old, but he is 40, about to be 41 in May. And Veronica Masato Hardy, his wife is 27. Very pretty, very young, about 14 years younger than him. Quite the catch for Mr. Dan Hardy. Well done, sir. Uh, but on a serious note, he knows the game. He's got resources available to him, and I would imagine that, you know, they're doing the best they can. So that's the one wrinkle. It's like, why would he, because he knows the game, right? So why would he want to set his wife up or be part of, not setting his wife up, but like watch his wife go out there and be just getting beat? 
hasn't fought in three years, still somehow in the UFC. Uh, yeah, so like I don't know. Maybe the, maybe the side we're not seeing is that she could have developed a lot and got better, and that I don't know. I don't know. A lot of variables, a lot of weird stuff. Uh, so. For Marcelo Hardy, Hardy, we, yeah, we're just confused here how she could win the fight. This line is probably lined correctly. It's hard to imagine a scenario where she's able to outgrapple Miller and then, barring a really lucky overhand right of some kind that lands, you know, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. So for Miller again, seems like a layup from the UFC. They want her to win. I mean, heck, maybe Hardy's in on the whole thing, right? Him, his girl, like, oh, we'll, we'll go out there. We'll lose whatever it's for the UFC. We're all here. We're all company people. I, mean, I don't know. I'm just speculating. I have no idea. But for Miller, you know, in her camp and the UFC, a nice finish here, a spectacular win, her UFC debut, something exciting. She gets to, you know, uh, be successful. I think that's the best case scenario for the UFC, right? And for Marcedos, I don't know. She's basically being paid to come out here and be a practice dummy for Miller. It just is what it is. So the betting spots we like the most for this fight are Miller on the money line as a parlay piece. Miller into the distance. And I would I would venture by TKO on the ground. That's how it's going to happen. Most likely round two or three. Because in round one, again, just so I can get off, I'm getting off track here, but Hardy does have good footwork. She's, you know, pretty agile. She'll circle. Look at her fight against Malecki. That's what she does. Um, or... Bay Malecki, yes. Um, so anyway, we like Miller into the distance. Miller on the money line is a parlay piece, which is a little bit juicy, but we already parlayed her with our stuff from last week, which was two different legs that already cashed. So hopefully she just wins. And then the fight not going to the distance. I guess if you want to get funny with it and be, be crazy, you want to sprinkle Hardy by KO. She throws crazy, crazy overhands. They're, 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 they're so off target. But if one hits, who knows? Seems to have some lower lower body strength and power. Maybe she's got something behind it. I don't know. I'm just guessing. But if the fight were to end somehow early and Hardy were to get the win, that would be like one of the weirdest scenarios. But that could, you know, it's mixed martial arts. Who knows? That prop might be attractive. But again, the betting spots are like here are Miller on the money line as a parlay piece. Miller into the distance and the fight does not go the distance. That's your breakdown for Veronica Macedo Hardy versus Juliana Miller. Let's move on. Moving up the card, next fight's going to be a lightweight battle. 155-pounders Jay Herbert, who goes by the Black Country Banger. He is from England, so he'll be fighting in his home country versus Ludovic Klein, who's from Slavic Republic. Before we get to the breakdown, for those who have to move forward or don't like the long breakdowns, we'll tell you that we like Ludovic Klein to win the fight by decision. Of course, we're aware that my man Jay Herbert tends to be fragile and, and has had some durability issues, but Klein is not the biggest finisher either. So over the course of three rounds, we end up we see the fight going to three rounds, basically, and a decision win there for Ludovic Klein. I'm going to spare you guys the details. You guys all have access to Tapology. You guys know their records and where they're from. Just to save a little bit of time here, I'm going to jump right into the actual breakdown. So Klein by decision is our pick. He's lined currently at plus 225 to win by decision. He's at minus 165 on the money line. You got Herbert at plus 135. For Herbert, a very talented kickboxer. Good length, good range, always in good shape. You can see his muscles. The guy works hard. He has shared the cage with some top opponents like uh, Ilya Tapuria last year. Also fought Francisco Trinaldo. So fought some good fighters, not championship-level guys, but guys that are decent. He dropped Tapuria in round one last year. And if you were betting on Tapuria in that fight, you remember it. You were probably shitting a brick because in that moment, you're like, oh, 
you know, Tapuria was like a minus, whatever, 400 favorite, something like that, and was a big-time favorite to win the fight. Next thing you know, Tapuria gets knocked down. So in that moment, you know, Jay showed you that he's capable of striking. He's a good counter-striker. He's got some power. Unfortunately, he goes on to lose that fight in round number two. Herbert's durability, let's segue into that. That That's the big issue here. He's been finished three of his last five fights. Yeah, in all four of his career losses, he's been finished. So clearly durability, the chin, excuse me, <clears throat> excuse me, decision-making, all of that's contributed to him losing fights where he's getting finished instead of going the full distance. So that's a bit of a concern for us. On top of that, the negative striking ratio. If you have durability issues and you're taking too many punches, more than what you're dishing out, I mean, that's the recipe for, it's a death sentence in the octagon. I'm surprised he's 12 and 4. Now, last few fights is where he's been getting beat up more. But the point is, he's got to shore up his stand-up defense. You can't have a glass chin. That's mean to say. You can't have chin issues. Is that fair? All right, let me take that back. You can't have chin issues and then also be getting hit too much. Doesn't work out. So, now, I want to point this out about Jay Herbert. He's fought good competition. He's fought okay competition against Okay, competition like Nelson and Worthy, he beats them. He looks good. Against guys like Tapuria, Trinaldo, he gets finished. It's not like he doesn't just lose. He gets finished. That's a problem. So bottom line for us with Herbert, he's a chinny fighter, low volume, averaging 2.45 strikes per minute. Zero wrestling on his resume. Has zero takedowns in four or five total mixed martial arts fights in the UFC. It's hard to imagine a scenario where he comes out here and overpowers Klein. There is the saving grace of the fact that Herbert is from England. He is the hometown guy. What if we get to a greasy decision? The split props, the split props, right? Let's talk about here about Ludovic Klein. 19 and four overall, Klein comes to this fight looking to win his third in a row, three into his last five fights. He had a defeat. His last fight that he lost was three fights ago. Nate Landwehr by submission. Then lost before that to Mike Trezano by decision. Both okay fighters, guys that are similar to Jay Herbert, where Jay Herbert loses against guys that are okay average. Excuse me. Same thing here for Ludovic Klein. You got to forgive me. My animals, my allergies again. Uh, they got me going. I need a tissue, but um, I have to power through this thing with you guys. So, in any case, um, <clears throat> for Klein, those were his two recent losses. His fights tend to go longer. Averaging 11 minutes and 44 seconds per fight. So going into round number three. Has displayed very limited finishing ability. His last finish was over four years ago. Now in comparison to Jai Herbert, Klein has more striking output. Landing 3.51 per minute. Almost a full strike more. Just slightly over a full strike more per minute against uh, compared to Herbert. Now on the flip side, Klein also has a negative striking ratio. Both guys have got to improve their stand-up defense. Klein's absorbing... More strikes per minute than Jay Herbert even averages per minute. So he's, he's absorbing 3.87 per minute. Again, that's more than Jay Herbert even lands per minute. That's not a good number, and Klein needs to shore that up, needs to improve his stand-up defense, and the same with Herbert. Klein has never been knocked out, interestingly enough, and being younger, 28, probably has a lot of confidence in his chin. At some point, he'll learn, right? And Jay Herbert's got some power. He did knock down Ilya Tapuria last year. In a fight, he lost though, right? Okay. Now, interestingly enough, Devontae Smith fought Klein before. I would implore you to go back and look at that fight because Devontae Smith is a similar fighter to Jay Herbert. 
that's why this fight probably could go the distance and be similar and go to decision because Jay Herbert looks a lot to us on film like Devontae Smith. Devontae Smith kicked Ludovic Klein in the head several times in that fight. And I was like, oh, every time it appeared that Ludovic took it well. Good shit. Never been knocked out. So durability is there on the side of Ludovic Klein. Not so much with Jay Herbert. Then again, Ludovic Klein's not known for his knockout power either. All right. So again, just a comparison there. I think Jay Herbert's very similar to Devontae Smith. Over the course of three rounds, Klein's going to have more output, land more, and probably wins the fight. Probably. Again, this is in England, and Jay Herbert will be the hometown kid, and we've seen crazier things. The betting spots we like the most of this fight are the fight going over two and a half rounds at plus 130. The fight starting round three, that line's not out yet. Klein by decision at plus 225. Herbert by decision at plus 400, because if you like Herbert, that's the path to victory. A close fight, home crowd, you know. We'll probably even sprinkle the split props, because if it gets really greasy, who knows? I mean, who knows, right? <laughs> Klein did go to split decision two fights ago against Devontae Smith. There's that name again. So we we told you Jay Herbert reminds us of Devontae Smith. And Klein went to a split with Smith. A little MMA math for you. Could we see a split here as well? Anyway, long story short, we like Klein to win the fight. We're not uber confident, as you could tell. We're talking about a close decision. But um, we like him to win the fight. That's our call. Let's move on. Moving up the card, next fight's going to be a women's bout, flyweight division, 125 pounders, Joanne Wood, a.k.a. Joanne Calderwood, or formerly Calderwood, against Luana Carolina, the Brazilian. Now, Calderwood is not from directly in the center of England, but she's from Scotland, and that's part of the United Kingdom massive territory there. So this is kind of home for her, and she should have some home fans there. She did an interview recently on Ariel Hawani's show. I'll be talking about that at some point during this breakdown because she dropped a nugget about her fight career that uh, is important in this fight. It's a detail that we have to pay attention to. So their basics, you guys, have Tapology. If you don't know what Tapology is, www.tapology.com. Their records, their details, the basics. We're going to skip that to just keep pushing forward. We have so much on our, our plate this week and several live shows, so... uh Saving just a few minutes reading you guys the records and stuff that you guys know about. Into the breakdown. Joanne Wood, by decision, at minus 125. That's our prediction. She's currently lined at minus 185. Quite frankly, once we approach 2-1 to one territory for Joanne Wood, that price is incorrect. There's no way a fighter with her recent resume and her age, about to be 40, should be this much of a favorite against just about anyone in the UFC. Now, Carolina has that quality of... Looking not so good sometimes, and then surprising you. And then looking like trash again, and then surprising you. And with women's bouts and recent women's fights, we saw Lipsky, we saw um, Grasso. There's plenty of examples of female underdogs that are pulling off the win. Why not Luana Carolina? Now, all that said, we're taking Joanne Wood to win by decision. That's our pick. But yeah, tons of like... Uh, flags, warning flags, not red flags, like yellow flags, like slow down, caution, don't bet too much of your bankroll. So not much confidence here. For Wood, she's in the midst of a worse stretch in her career. She's two and five in her last seven fights. That gets you on the verge of getting cut. Let's be honest with you. If she wasn't somewhat attractive, 
Um, that probably she might be cut <laughs> if, if she wasn't a team player and a, and a positive, you know, speaker on behalf of the UFC and you know wasn't married to a top coach who's tied into again UFC ties. She probably would have been cut already. And after this fight, depends upon the outcome, she may even cut herself. Let me just open that package up for you right now. During the Ariel Hawani show this past week, she did an interview and said, point blank, I am contemplating retirement. And it caught Ariel a little off guard. We think of her as younger because she does look younger. She doesn't look older. She's got a young look, a young personality, whatever. But she's 37. I said 39 earlier. What was I saying? 39. She's 37 and approaching that point in her career where it's going to be time to, you know, pack it in. And she mentioned having children at 37. It, it is at that point, right? She hasn't had children yet. And so at this point, there's a lot going on upstairs. You could see in the interview that she was thinking. And if you don't know, when it comes to combat sports, the more thinking you're doing, especially pre-fight, not thinking about analysis and how to win. I'm talking the overthinking about life and motherhood and being a wife. That shit doesn't line up with cage fighting. That that's a that's a different side. That that's living, healthy, uh, parenting. Um, go to school. Don't fight people in school. Be a good kid. Listen to the rules. Um, yeah, that that doesn't line up with what you're doing in the cage, which is like trying to hurt someone in blood and go. So, I think fully, hundred percent, a part of Calderwood is already checked out. Checked out. She's already. One foot is out the door. So if she drops the ball here and for some reason doesn't look good at some point, you know, catches a nasty elbow from Carolina and, and she's bleeding and it, it it's just not looking good. It's because she's already checked out halfway. I know I'm still predicting she's going to win. And I'm, I'm choosing her to win at home. And maybe that's a part of the emotion in me choosing her to possibly win the fight. But I'm giving you the reasons here for why this could not pan out for her. She, she's already laid out the last weekend, Rafael Asunso. Now, granted, that fight was weird because he was winning the fight. And that was a last minute. It was a little fluky there by Davey Grant. A little fluky. But it continues the trend of like uh, Mauricio Rua, who retired down in Brazil, or Glover Teixeira. You, know, you, you, you start chatting about retirement. That usually means you're thinking about stopping this. <laughs> So mentally, you're, you know, you're entertaining that idea. One more example before we move through the rest of the breakdown is it's like a boxer going into a heavyweight fight or any kind of fight, and they and and uh, they're asked, "Do you think you're going to win?" And the boxer's like, "Well, you know, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, anyone could win. Uh, no, that's not the right answer. The right answer that you expect from a person who believes they're going to win is to say, "I will win. I will win the fight." Because there's no room for doubt. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's no room to let the doubt creep into your head, even if you're an underdog. Anyway, with all that said, Wood is approaching her late 30s. She discussed retirement recently. We've seen examples of that recently of people that are doing that and how it works out. It is a good matchup, though, for Calder Wood. I called her Calder Wood. <laughs> Joanne Wood. It's a good matchup for her. And quite frankly, I think the UFC is trying to hook her up here. Like she's close to home. A long, thin, not very powerful fighter with no finishing ability. So we don't expect Wood to get knocked out. We like that. You know, I mean, there's a lot there to, let's put it this way. There's a lot there for Wood that she could win the fight. As long as Wood keeps her hands going, 
high output. Like she averages something like something crazy, like almost six and a half strikes per minute. So very high volume for Wood. Keep that going. Press the pace. Force Carolina to work off her back foot. Wood does that at times. She does have a good pace and pressure. I'm hoping that the crowd gets her going. You know, she's hyped up. It's in London. A lot there to like if you're on the side of Joanne Wood. As she's climbing toward minus two minus two hundred, though, it's it's getting scary, right? It's getting a little scary. For Carolina comes into this fight off of a year layoff. And it made sense because she got knocked into Never Never Land in her last fight. <laughs> she was fighting Molly McCann, and Molly McCann lands a spinning back fist in round three. I literally haven't seen a woman get knocked out like that in a minute. Like Luana got knocked out where her eyes rolled back and she was on the mat for a good, let's just say 45 seconds, completely asleep. Like, you know, they're, they're trying to shake her to get her going. She was not moving. She was asleep. Eyes rolled back. That's how hard she got hit by Molly McCann. And McCann, Meatball McCann, she's got some punching power, whatever else. But that was a bad loss, so she took the whole year off. That's good. Okay. Yeah, that was tough. Tough loss for Luana. <laughs> so for Luana now, how does she win this fight? It's the length. It says they're both 5, 6, and tapology. Bullshit. Luana's taller. You'll see it in the face-off. She's got longer arms on Tapology by about almost three and a half, four inches, but she's going to have a four and a half to five inch reach advantage and about a three to inch height advantage. You'll see it. At range, that's where she'll work best. In the clinch, in submission situations, not so good. She got submitted by Ariana Lipsky with a weird knee bar. That was a few years ago. And Lipsky, we loved her last weekend, but quite frankly, when you're getting submitted by Lipsky, <laughs> knee bars, you know, so it's just low fighter IQ. For Luana sometimes. Um, a good front kick. It's in my notes here. So the front kick from Luana, if she gets that going early, you know, uses her height and her range, that's her way to disrupt things for Wood. I mean, lands one good front kick to the to the chin. We saw that last week against Nam and we see against other fighters. If she can get that front kick going, measure range. And surprisingly enough with Luana, she has very good takedown defense. You're thinking long and tall and, and lean and thin. 82% take the defense, which means that with 82% take the defense, that means that she's lowering her hips. She's able to defend takedowns. So for a fighter, again, with her physique to have 82% take the defense is absolutely impressive. In this fight, though, it shouldn't be a big factor because Joanne Wood likes to also strike at range, keep it in the feet, doesn't have much wrestling in her background either. So that's the concern, though. She's going to be shorter and smaller, and you got Carolina with long range. So... We're going with Wood because she has excellent gym, right? She's training at Syndicate. She's married to one of the top coaches, so fighter IQ, and home court. Those are all good reasons to favor Wood, and we're going to do that in this matchup. But a split decision here is possibly coming down the pipe, and it just can come down to either way. I mean, like, we could see Wood lose the fight, right, but win the fight if that makes any sense. And unfortunately, women's MMA, where we're going to probably not see a finish, it gets ugly, gets greasy, comes down to round three. I mean, look, we saw a fight last week, right? Did you see the Henry fight? Victor Henry, he won over um, Gravely, right? And that was a pretty close fight. One judge had it 30-27. What, what was he looking at? What fight was he looking at? And so... 
if that judge goes and watches this, watch this fight here, we just have no idea what we can expect to see happen. And with women's MMA, we tend to go to decisions. So just putting all that out there, yeah, bet this fight with caution. The spots we like the most of this fight are the fight going over two and a half rounds at minus 350. That's a chalky spot. It's a parlay piece. Fight goes the full distance at minus 325. Again, chalky, but a parlay piece. Wood by decision at minus 125. I mean, I mean, is Wood going to knock out Carolina? Wood, listen, if Carolina was good at submissions, I would take Carolina because Joanne Wood is terrible at submission defense. That's one of her like biggest issues. As a matter of fact, it's not right here in front of me, but look it up. Uh, Joanne Wood has lost her last two fights by submission and has lost like three of her last four by submission and cannot defend submissions. And Luana Carolina is from Brazil, but she's a long, tall fighter and doesn't do submissions. You know, this is the perfect matchup for Joanne Wood. UFC is trying to help her out. They're like, please, Joanne, can you at least get this win in front of the home crowd? And for Carolina, I don't know, man. That last knockout was terrible. So the over two and a half. Minus 350, fight goes the full distance, minus 325, wood by decision at minus 125. And we're going to sprinkle the split props on both sides because it's women's MMA. Fook it. We'll give it a try. That's your breakdown, guys. Like Joanne Wood with the fight by decision. Okay, next fight, Jake Hadley, the White Kong versus Malcolm Gordon in a flyweight bout, 125 pounders. You got to love Jake Hadley's profile picture. He's got two birds up there popping up. I'm not going to do it here for you guys. I don't want to offend anyone, but uh, yeah, very Nate Diaz-like. And Malcolm X Gordon, obviously a playoff of Malcolm X, the former civil rights leader. Anyway, flyweight bout, small guys, very athletic. We like Hadley to win the fight by a round two submission. Both guys like to grapple, gets to the ground at some point. We could even see Gordon win by submission. He's got a bunch of submission wins on his resume, too. But at some point in round two, I see Gordon slowing down, making a few mistakes, and then Hadley gets himself a submission win in round two. That's your pick. That's what we're going with. For the long breakdown, stay here, stay tuned. For those who have to keep moving forward, look down below for the timestamps, and you can just keep moving forward on the rest of the video. Okay, here. So for the basics, guys, in these two fighters, you guys have topology. You know that Jake Hadley's 9-1, and this guy Malcolm... Gordon's 14 and 6. Look it up yourself. You can see it. it's available at tapology.com. I'm going to jump right into my notes here. So for Jake Hadley, round two submission, that's plus 600. Malcolm's a good grappler. He's got finishing ability. He was able to finish his opponent in six of his last seven wins. Yeah, that's impressive. Six of his last seven wins by finish. Malcolm does his best work on the ground. He has six total submission wins in his career. Now, recently, been inconsistent. Over his last five fights, he's two and three. And he was finished in all three of those losses. Yeah, that's not a good look. And though he has good grappling and good wrestling, when he faced my man Mokayev last year, hold up the story. Mokayev ragdolled the hell out of this guy. And it shows you that even though Malcolm's got good wrestling and grappling, it ain't elite. Mokayev's elite. And somewhere in down here is, is Malcolm. Okay, and that's what happened that fight. So I wonder, Jake Hadley, who's a good wrestler, not Mokayev level, but good. Will Malcolm have success like out-wrestling Jake Hadley? It's a question I don't know. I'm looking forward to seeing the answer. For Hadley, he's the favorite here, and I think for a good reason. It looks to me like the UFC is giving him a winnable matchup at home. He's a guy who's from Birmingham, England. His people will be there. They'll be cheering the whole nine. 
So it looks like a fight that he could win. Malcolm is a bit fragile. The guy's been finished a handful of times in recent fights. We talked about it. Not to mention he'll be behind enemy lines, right? He'll be in foreign territory in England. Hadley fights at a high pace. The crowd, the pace, the action. We could see him overwhelming Gordon in round one, but Gordon survives it. And then eventually at some point in round two, it just becomes too much. For Hadley, he has four finishes in his last five fights. So he's got finishing ability. And three of those finishes in that, that group of four finishes were by submission. So he likes to submit people. I think, mean, again, the, the fight hits the ground. It could be Gordon initiating the ground situation. It could be. Either way, on the ground, someone submits someone. And we like Hadley to do the submitting here. Now, for the bets here, interestingly enough, we've got some bets on both sides. The bets we like the most for this fight are going to be Hadley by submission at plus 140. The book's telling you right there. They expect it. It's plus 140, okay? Like when this guy, Bo Nickel, fought recently. He was plus, I don't know, plus 120 or plus 150 for round one submission. It happened. Same thing for Hadley here. It's like he's going to win by submission. It's going to be round one or two. You just got to figure out which one it's going to be. But submission overall, that's plus 140. Fight not going to distance is minus 300. That's a good spot. The under two and a half. Not priced yet. And Hadley is a parlay piece at minus 375 range. So we're very confident in Hadley. It is chalky, but he should win the fight. It seems like all arrows are pointing towards him winning. Now, we're also going to place a small wager on Gordon by submission. Gordon by submission is plus 1,200. That is a crazy line. I would, I would play it. Just play it because if you're parlaying Hadley like we are, if you're investing in Hadley to win the fight by submission like we're doing, this Gordon by submission prop is, in essence, your, your hedge. And I get it. Hedging is not for everyone. But at plus 1,200, you're talking peanuts just to back up the bet here. And for Gordon, his most likely path to victory is going to be by submission. That's where he does his work. So we'll, we'll sprinkle that prop bet. But the pick is going to be Jake Hadley, the White Kong, to win the fight. Round two by submission. That's your breakdown. Let's keep it moving. Moving up the car, next fight, middleweight bout, 185 pounders, Christian Leroy Duncan versus Dusko Todorovic. And this will be a very short and sweet breakdown, so it won't take much time. We like my man Leroy Duncan to win the fight by a round two knockout. That is our prediction. No disrespect to Dusko. Good fighter from Poland. Tough as hell. Never question his heart. But my man, he's a reckless fighter. Chins wide open. Chins up high. Gets hit a ton. He's the kind of guy where he gets knocked down like three or four times in a fight before it ends. It's like, it doesn't end for the first knockout. He pops back up, you know. You know, no facial damage, gets knocked down again, pops back up. Eventually, referees step in and say, okay, you've been knocked out five, six times. The fight has to stop at some point. You, you can't just keep popping up and keep getting knocked down. That's his MO. And so, again, a lot of heart. Not, not trying to be funny here. A lot of heart. But it seems to be his chin is, uh, it's just not all there. So pretty straightforward breakdown. Dust goes reckless. He's chinny. A good athlete. Not questioning his heart again. He leaves his chin wide open. No head movement. Hands are down low. As he fatigues, the hands get lower. If he does all this against Christian Leroy Duncan, he's going to get knocked out. There's no question. If he takes that approach here, 15 total pro fights, right? In those 15 pro fights, we've probably watched at least five fully. Same thing every time. Hands are down. He wants to see his target. His target can see him. He's swinging from here. Not from the hip, but he's swinging from here. 
He gets knocked down, pops back up. He wins fights where he gets knocked down and popped back up. No, no damage in the face. That never swollen, never cut. So he's getting knocked down by one punch. It's it's not it's not him on the feet for rounds at a time. You know, taking a lot of no. He he gets hit one time. He pops back down, pops back up like a pop up doll. I don't know. Not a good look. <laughs> Duncan needs to defend Dusko's takedowns. That's the one thing for Duncan, though. He's going to have to defend the takedowns in past fights. Done a good job. Very athletic. He is the home fighter, right? So Christian Duncan's going to be at home in England. That's notable. But takedown defense is number one. Number two is when you get takedown, just get back up. Because on the ground, Dusko's a bit of a menace. He'll, he'll mount you. He'll move to better positions. He'll lay on you. He's a big guy at six foot one for this division. Uh, Christian's six foot two, so both guys are pretty big. But the point is, Dusko will tend to bully you on the ground, and for Duncan, his best work is at range. So that's the one area of concern. Can Dusko make it close, strangle this guy, bring it to the ground, make it difficult? That's where I think Duncan has to be a little bit careful. But on the feet, Duncan's a superior boxer. He's got better stand up defense, no question about that. Footwork's better. Power and his strikes are better, and then much better overall technique. No, again, no offense to Dusko. I respect the guy. I like his. Listen, he's the kind of guy you want to go hang out with, man. He's probably a, a really fun dude to hang out with. A lot of personality, good looking dude, uh, but fucking reckless in the cage. <laughs> That's the bottom line. So, the line is actually a bargain here. I think Christian Duncan should be favored more. I think he's got this fight in the bag. He's also at home. Makes me wonder maybe we're too high on him. You know, I don't know, man. He's the kind of guy where he's 7-0. You don't know of him. You don't hear from him very much. He's kind of below the radar. He's from England, black guy. He's not American. He's not out there. He's not a Floyd Mayweather type. So he kind of floats below the radar, but the guy is good. If you watch his film, you will see, right, like, this guy is pretty good. This is very athletic. So it's interesting to, to, to understand that he's, again, kind of below the radar. We think he's pretty legit, but whatever. At 7-0 for Duncan, looking to go 8-0, we expect him to come out here and pour it on Dusko at some point and knock him out somewhere in the second or third round where the referee has to step in because Dusko won't stop fighting <laughs> and, his re- and his corner won't throw the towel in. He's going to just keep fighting and you know keep falling down, popping back up. Eventually, the fight will stop at some point. The betting spots we like the most for this fight are the fight going under two and a half rounds. That line's not available just yet. The fight not going to decision, that line's also not available yet. <laughs> and then Duncan by TKO, which is plus 130. I guess if you want to get specific, Duncan round two TKO, Duncan round three, those are areas to consider. Either way, Duncan wins the fight. Again, he's the home fighter. He's 7-0. I don't believe the UFC is like setting up Dusko here. It's not like he can't win the fight. He can, but knowing Dusko how we know Dusko, he's probably getting knocked out. And it might be flashy, like highlight-worthy, so get the cameras ready. Duncan by a highlight knockout, round two, that's your pick. Let's keep it moving. Working our way up the prelim card, next fight to featherweight battle at 145 pounds. Leron Murphy from England, the hometown kid, against Gabriel Santos from Brazil, making his UFC debut. Before we jump into the breakdown, we'll give you our pick to get out of the way. We like Santos by decision. That's at plus 300 currently. Uh, That's our prediction. Now, we understand Santos is the underdog. We get it. Murphy's the hometown kid. All that put together based upon our analysis, we're going with Santos. We'll try to explain it to you. We'll try to convince you throughout this breakdown, but maybe we can't. We'll do the best we can. All right, so Santos making his UFC debut. 
fought in LFA. He's a grappler by nature. You can understand Brazilian you know, jiu-jitsu, the whole thing. He'll look to take the fight to the ground or the fence within 30 seconds. He won't spend much time out at distance. If the fight gets to the ground, he'll have the advantage. On the feet, Murphy has the advantage. So many fights are like this, right? It's pretty simple analysis. Murphy at range has power, explosive. Uh, he can knock out Santos, no question. On the ground, Murphy has shown to be a little weak at times, and that's what Santos does best. We could even see Santos trying some submissions, maybe even getting a submission. In any case, even if he just gets two rounds of control, that's enough for us. Now, if you haven't watched him on Santos, I'll tell you two things. He, he's fighting guys that are predominantly lower level. Does have a win when you go over his tapology. Does have a win over a fighter that just made his UFC debut and who's now 1-0 in the UFC. That was um, Elvis, right? So Elvis Silva, who's now currently in the UFC. Or Elvis Brenner, I'm sorry. One of those two Elvises. <laughs> Nonetheless, so he does have a quality win. But that fight that Elvis won recently down in Australia is hotly contested. The results were... A little off. In any case, he's somewhat formidable. He's got some finishing ability. We like him enough that it's like, hey, why not? Why can't he give Murphy some trouble in a few areas? Murphy is very good, and the record looks solid, and he is fighting at home. But let's peel back the layers more, okay? Murphy's the better striker. He has the experience advantage. This will be his, what, third or fourth fight in the UFC. He's got power and athleticism. He can knock out anyone in the division, no question. His Achilles heel is the ground game and volume. He can be controlled for long periods of time on the ground. Doesn't have a like, sense of urgency. Gets to his back and accepts position. Now, is he tired? Is he, is he mentally frustrated? We've seen fighters be on their back and tell their corners, like, I got it. I'll, I'll get up. And two minutes later, they're on their back still. So, you know, it's easier said than done, especially against a good grappler. So we worry about him getting taken down, staying down for a long period of time. We love his striking. No question about that. The man can strike. He's got elite striking. He's demonstrated power. He can change a fight with one punch. No question. Or kick. Unfortunately, he lacks volume. Landing 2.58 strikes per minute. That's not much. So how do you back a guy with, with money, with bets, if he's got low volume and he's, you know, I don't know, just putting it out there. We predict that Gabriel Santos wins the fight. Close decision. Now, keep in mind, it's important to note that Murphy is in England. So there's a little bit of a concern that it goes to a close fight and then they just rob Santos, right? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Anything's possible with the judges. And if it is close, you'd think they would favor the English fighter. I'm thinking that the, the two rounds that Santos wins will be convincing. He'll have position control for large periods of time, and that would be enough. Who knows? Maybe the referee decides to stand him up quickly. We saw that in the Shevchenko fight recently. I don't know. You know, I mean, just, just a lot of dynamics here, right? This fight comes down to one simple question for us. Will Murphy accept being on his back or will he get up? He's going to get taken down at some point. Will he get back up? Will he have a sense of urgency? If he drops round one, okay, whatever. In round two, gets taken down. Will he get back up? <clears throat> if Murphy stands up repeatedly and defends some takedowns, he can win the fight. He can. But again, low volume, so that's always a concern, too. He's looking for the perfect punch. 11-0-1 record. A little deceiving, I would say, here for Leron Murphy. I, I do like him as a fighter. do like him as a prospect. Takedown defense is 36%. You know, putting it out there. 
He only absorbs about 1.9 strikes per minute, so that's good. You got good defense. When you combine his amateur and pro career, he's got 16 total fights. So there's a lot of things to like about Leron Murphy. On the flip side, the Santos kid, you know, we don't know as much. We haven't seen him in a UFC fight yet. We haven't seen him against real quality UFC opponents. Good finishing ability. Seems pretty balanced. Very active. This will be his second fight already this year. He fought in LFA. Got a win there. A, a lot of no unknowns. But we do know that Gra Gabriel is going to try to do a, a grapple-heavy approach a wrestle-heavy approach, and that is not what Murphy's good at. So for that reason, and mostly that reason, we're taking Santos here at plus 140 to win the fight by decision. That's at plus 300. The betting spots we like the most of this fight are the fight going over two and a half rounds at minus 150. Fight goes distance at minus 125. Santos by decision at plus 300. Santos by submission is at plus 700. It's a play we're going to make because like 12 bucks, 13 bucks to make $100 it's part of his toolbox. If, if, if a lot of time spent in the ground, it would take Murphy maybe trying to get up, making a mistake, giving up his back. We could see it. And the last prop, Murphy by knockout. That seems to be the most likely path to victory. It's not that he's KO or bust, but the low volume concerns you. He's losing time on the ground, position control. Needs a knockout to win, so that's plus 400. We'll find a way to sprinkle that prop as well. That's your breakdown again. We like Santos with a fight by decision. Let's move on. Next up on the prelim card, a flyweight bout, 125 pounders, Mohamed Mokayev, the Punisher, against Hafal Filho, the Pastor. So we got a Brazilian fighter versus a Russian slash United Kingdom fighter. Mokayev is a huge favorite. I mean, he should be a favorite, but at some point, this bubble's going to burst. He's been a big favorite now a few times already recently. I feel like at some point, someone's going to defend those takedowns. Pop him with a knee when he comes in for you know a double leg or something. Catch him with a guillotine. I don't know. At some point, the gig will be up. But this like minus eight hundred and this guy's like twenty two years old. He's very young, so it's a very dangerous betting spot. Tons of of new betters or undisciplined betters are going to throw this into a parlay. It's like no, no. If you want action in this fight, find the prop. We'll talk about it with you. But do not do it. Do not put Mokayev into your parlay at minus 800. It doesn't make any sense. Now, his numbers are crazy. Probably going to grapple fuck Hafel Philho. And for Philho, damn, what did he do to deserve this opportunity as his debut? <coughs> Excuse me. Usually, UFC fighters that are coming into their debut out of Contender Series get a decent matchup, right? They're not helping him out here at all. <laughs> they are not helping him out. So, Mokayev is 8-0, undefeated. Field Hill's 14-2, coming out of Contender Series. Mokayev has a few fights under his belt already in the UFC. Let's talk details here. I'll give you our breakdown real quickly just so we can keep it moving. This fight's not very interesting to break down because, again, it's very one-sided. Mokayev by round one submission is plus 315. That's our play. He's the appropriate favorite, like we said before. He'll probably finish Field Hill in round one, round two by submission. We do not recommend parlaying it. Like I said, do not parlay the money line here. No good. <laughs> There's limited value there, period, right? Mokayev has a good chance of getting a submission earlier than later just because he is so aggressive. He's going to be all over Filho. Maybe Filho defends first round. That is a problem in the second round. When it comes to Mokayev, he's not just a wrestler and a grappler. For 22, he's like on the edge of being elite. 
We we saw fighters like, for example, Malcolm Gordon. Malcolm Gordon is touted as a wrestler grappler, right? He fought Mokayev. Mm-mm. No, he had a moment or two where he was doing some grappling and kind of had Mokayev in like a, a choke position. Mokayev worked out of it, recovered position, and then Mokayev finished him <laughs> because that's what happens when you go and roll around with elite grapplers. Mokayev averages 8.88 takedowns per fight. Now, small sample size, of course, but still bananas. That's the kind of pace he fights at. He's going to be all over you. He, he he fights in a similar manner to those Dagestani guys. And interestingly enough, even though it says he's from the United Kingdom, he was born in Dagestan. Grew up in UK, though. Wrestled in UK. Wrestling background, like Olympic level type of thing. Um, he definitely gives off Khabib vibes. Just the way he fights. And he's Russian, so just bring it out there. Now, though he is from Russia, like we said before, he grew up in the United Kingdom. He adopts that as home. He will be home court here, right, for him. He'll be the home fighter. And so he'll have the crowd behind him as well. A lot to like about him. Not much striking offense, landing 1.15 strikes per minute, absorbing 0.99. So positive striking ratio, not absorbing much of anything. His fights tend to go about 10 minutes, about two rounds. His record's a little deceiving. So he's like, what, 7-0 or 8-0, right? Okay. But had a ton of amateur fights. So he's got like 33 total fights combined, actually. Interesting, right? Kind of deceiving record. What else do we like about Muhammad? Um, active fighter. He fought three times last year. He fought three times in 2021. That's six fights over two years. Four submissions in eight pro fights. Did go to decision a lot as an amateur, actually. Went to decision 15 of his 23 amateur fights. Age is a small concern because he is so young. And he's a bit one-dimensional, right? He, he just needs to wrestle you to beat you. He's not going to win a Floyd Mayweather-style boxing exhibition. That's just not his style. Now, as for my man, Philho, coming into his UFC debut off of Contender Series, again, they're doing him no favors here with this matchup. I'm not sure why they're giving him such a tough matchup unless the UFC is just so invested into Mokayev. They're like, hey, I mean, Mokayev... Right, looking at his topology, I want to make sure I'm not misremembering this, but he has already fought a few UFC fights, right? So he's beaten Cody Durden. He beat Charles Johnson, right? And then he beat Malcolm Gordon. Why would he be fighting a Dana White Contender Series debutante? Like, shouldn't he be fighting <clears throat> guys that are Cody, Charles Johnson, Malcolm Gordon-esque, maybe even above that? Yeah, it just seems to me like the UFC is just fully outright feeding him this win and just trying to get him to 9-0, 10-0, 11-0, keep the Bo Nickel approach, you know? Doesn't make sense, right? Now, can Feel he'll come in here and give the 22-year-old some problems and challenge him in a few spots? Yeah, of course. I mean, Feel is, is young himself, but he's about to be 30. A little more life experience, right? Let's get back to our breakdown. So Phil Hill's going to have a hard time defending the wrestling attack of Mokaya for all three rounds. He might defend one or two takedowns at points, but at some time, he's going to get to the ground. Needs to get back up. Needs to defend submissions. The most realistic path to victory for Phil Hill is going to be a lucky knockout, unfortunately. It's hard to imagine over the course of three rounds that, you know, Mokaya has a high gas tank or deep gas tank, good cardio, however you want to put it. So over the course of three rounds, he probably gets enough position control and tries a few submissions and 
you know, some judges love when you just try a submission. Even if you don't get it, that's like big points for some judges. Uh, but on a serious note, it's going to be hard for Filho to win the fight on the scorecards. He's in foreign territory, and you got a young whippersnapper who's undefeated. He's going to have to knock this kid out. And could it happen? Yes. We just don't know about Muhammad's chin. We don't know yet. So it's a bit of a variable. We'll sprinkle it. But let's make this short and sweet and wrap this up. We like Mokayev to win the fight by submission in round one. The betting spots we like the most for this fight are going to be the under two and a half rounds. That's line at minus 150. That's way better than minus 800, right? If you get the crystal ball, Mokayev by submission, that's plus 100. Much better. And then Fielho by knockout at plus 1,600. Take my money. There's your breakdown. Mohamed Mohamed Mokayev, the UK citizen, is going to win the fight by submission in front of his hometown crowd and set the crowd or whoever's there yet at that point, the prelim card, ablaze. Let's move on, guys. Here we go. Next up, we got a lightweight battle. 155 pounders. Sam Patterson goes by the future versus Yanel Ajmov, the Red Fox. For Ajmov, it's his UFC debut and also the same for Sam Patterson. Though different paths for Patterson came in off the contender series. Yanel's being called up from... Uh, Regional promotion pretty much in Israel. <laughs> so we'll be talking about both fighters in detail. Before we get into that, we'll give you our pick out the gate. We do like Ashmoff to win the fight. I know you're probably thinking these guys are nuts. What is he talking about? Sam Patterson's the home kid. He's taller, longer. He's fought better opponents. Yeah, we'll talk about all that. But there's something about the sneaky Ashmoff. Very sneaky, smart, practical, high fighter IQ. So by decision... For Ashmov is our pick. We'll spare you guys the details. You guys all have tapology.com. Let's get into it. So for Patterson, he is an exciting prospect. The guy's got a lot of good tools. Long, he's tall, good looking, English. Got a little tinge of the, the carrot top there. But he's raw to say the least. <laughs> His striking especially is um, it's to be desired, as they say, right? He won on Contender Series. You go to Tapology, you see your round two submission. Yeah. Then you pull the film up and you're like, ooh, round one gets knocked down. Not so good. Uh, his chin is always open. His chin is like a massage parlor in Taipei. Come here, massage, massage, long time. That shit's always open. And his chin is always open. Always open. <laughs> Hands are always slow, long neck ass. Sam Patterson puts his chin on a, on a pedestal, doesn't move it. When he got knocked down in the contender series fight, it was two or three of the same exact punch. And it was, you could see it coming. The guy's loading up for an overhand, like left, I think it was left. You know, Sam's got his guard kind of up, but eats part of the punch and then gets knocked down. I get it. People who like Sam are going to say, well, he came back and he showed durability. We'll talk about that. But let's talk about the facts. His last fight, he almost got knocked out in round one. Had his opponent had better fighter IQ, he wouldn't have gone in for the clinch. How many guys, how, how often does it happen where fighter is just cracked the other guy? Just cracked him <laughs> on the feet at range. Now let me go hug him. What the 
why? Why, 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 why? Are you guys all stupid? Not all of them do it, but the ones who do it, you just cracked him at range. Stay at range. He wants to back up against the fence. Go ahead. Engage him while he's against the fence at range and keep cracking him and load up and finish the fight. Nah. Sam Patterson's opponent in the contender series must have been for the take. Maybe he was working the fight. Who knows? He goes in and starts hugging Patterson. Like, ugh, idiot. Not a smart move. Um, <clears throat> anyway, the two red flags we noticed here on Sam Patterson are that he leaves his chin wide open, like we said before, and he can be taken down with ease. Like, I mean, easily taken down. He was taken down easily in his last fight and in prior fights. We love his heart, of course. Came back, got knocked down, resilient. You know, he's got the whole, I don't know what they would refer to him in the UK. That Patty Pimlet says, uh, was schnauzes, schnauzes, don't whatever get knocked out, whatever they say in UK. Uh, that's what I would be saying for Sam Patterson. So he d- does come back. Shows the heart of a champion, you know. But never should have gotten knocked out in the first place. It was uh, not a good look. We love his spirit. Significant height and reach. He's going to have a lot of reach and height here. I mean, he might be a half a foot actually taller than, you know, Ajmov. Not kidding. Like, it's, he's like five and a half inches taller than Ajmov. So that'll look funny. That'll be interesting. Um, Ajmov's going to have to close distance for sure, right? Now, as for Yanal Ajmov, represents the first generation of Israeli UFC fighters. And I don't want to get off on a tantrum here, but Natan Levy, that name probably rings a bell, came to Contender Series. There's a whole market there, you know, uh, without getting too much into it, Dana White has actually received contact messages, people who've reached out to him that would never have reached out to him prior, like Hollywood elite. Hey, you know, Natan Levy's fighting and I, I I wish this young man good luck or can we get tickets to come see Natan Levy? Like, n- listen, if there's one thing about the Jewish culture and the religion of, of Judaism, they stick together. Ain't nothing wrong with it, Okay. It's like Chinatown. They stick together. I'm all about mixing cultures. I'm okay with, you know, but I get people staying with their own. And when it comes to Jews, support their own. And in the case of Natan Levy, him and my man Ajmov represent, I believe, the only two Jewish, at least male fighters in all of the UFC. So a growing market, um, Israel, Middle East, you know, I, I think we're going to see more fighters in that area of the world. So right now the UFC is dipping into the well and trying to bring up another Israeli fighter who undefeated, you know, fought in the PFL last year, got a decision win over a guy named Dennis Hughes. Dennis Hughes is seven and five. Hughes is three, three, his last six fights. Kind of hard to gauge that win or the quality of the opponents that he's fought for Ashmas. He's a round three knockout in CFFC. That was two years ago. That's a pretty good promotion. Like fighters, for example, like Patrick Sabatini fought in CFFC before he came into the UFC. It's a US-based promotion, but pretty good. Pretty competitive. We like Ashmov's wrestling, his grappling and submission ability. He'll jump on your back. Remember that. He'll jump on the back. If this guy right here, Sam Patterson, gets off balance and goofy like he tends to do and he's long, you can see Yanala backpacking him at some point. We're counting on Ashmoff to secure at least two rounds convincingly with the wrestling convincingly, excuse me, with the wrestling. That's how he's gonna get this win. We don't see him knocking out Sam Patterson. You know, has not displayed that kind of power, doesn't have high volume. It's the grappling area where he's gonna have the most success. Patterson's lack of balance, the long frame, 
being off balance, that's going to open up opportunities for Oshimov to jump on top of him, sweep him, or take him down. We've seen, for example, Oshimov do judo sweeps, creative takedowns, and also just pick people up and slam him down too. <laughs> the money line should be a split in our opinion. This money line is off. You've got Patterson currently sitting at minus 275. That's wild, right? A guy who's coming in off of Contender Series, making his debut, who got knocked down in the first round of that fight, should not be a 3-1 to one favorite. Mm. No, no, no. Now I might go into a tantrum. <laughs> so for Patterson, Contender Series win, that's definitely giving him a bump. Being from England, taller, longer. All those reasons are why people would maybe favor him. And then the line's being juiced by the fans in England. If you wager on Patterson and he wins, happy for you. I don't want to give you any bad juju. He's maybe on a few parlay tickets already as you're hearing this, right? So, But at minus 275, the market is simply asking too much, too high of a price on Patterson. Like, for example, would you spend double the amount of... For, for example, next time you get gasoline, right? Would you spend double the amount of the cost for gasoline? Like the, the, the gas tenant says, it's 40 bucks. And you're like, no, here's 80. Like when you go out to the next, you know, dining engagement or your cell phone bill, cell phone bill comes in, it's like 120 bucks. Would you send them 250? No, you wouldn't. You would never do this in normal real life circumstances. Treat your gambling that way and you'll be, you'll be surprised at how much better off you are. This price tag is juiced. It's not correct, and you just don't want any part of it because what you're doing is you're overspending to play the game. I'll give you an example as well. Alexa Grasso. If you wanted action on the Grasso versus Shevchenko fight, the easy action was minus 600 for Shevchenko, put her into a parlay. We know how that worked out. So playing these price tags that are overpriced where you're not really getting the value it's not that you should always play the dogs. In this case here, you're getting fleeced by the books. They're taking you out back. They're bending you over. And they're saying, oh, you want to bet on Patterson? Let me bend you over real quick with no Vaseline. That's a fact. Look at his recent fights. There's nothing about him that suggests he's a 3-1 to one favorite against you, me, your sister, or anybody. Let alone a guy like Ashmoff who's a bit crafty. You know, he's got, he's got some skills. He does a few things that Patterson does not do well. Anyway, we're not saying that Patterson tickets are doomed, that he's going to lose the fight for sure. He's got no, no, we're not saying that. We're simply saying that this is not a good deal, not a good price point. Bet with a lot of caution if you're taking Patterson and putting him into a parlay. Patterson shouldn't be nearly a 3-1 favorite. Just want to underline that point. <laughs> the books are tempting you, right? They're tempting you right here with, Throwing him into parlays. A lot of the new bettors will see that price tag and say, that's a parlay piece. Throw him in there. And he's from England. Yeah, the film The film says otherwise. We're looking at the other side and saying, the dog is tempting here. And we're going to bite on it. We're going with the tempting dog. We're going with the unknown Ajmov, the Israeli sensation. So let me wrap it up here. The betting spots I like the most for this fight are the fight going over a round and a half at minus 185. The fight starts round three. That line's not out yet. Ashmoff by decision at plus 500. Ashmoff by submission is plus 700. And then Patterson by submission is plus 350. A little surprised. That's not a little chalkier. A Patterson submission 
would send the crowd into a banana frenzy. Okay, so we are going to sprinkle the Patterson submission just for good karma. But we're giving a shot here on the underdog. We're going with Ashmov to win by decision. That's our pick. That's our pick to win. We're going to live with it. Check us out on Sunday night. On Sunday night, we do our full recap as part of our Midnight MMA show. Come back, check us out on Sunday night. And if we're right, we'll be like, and if we're wrong, we will be humble pie and say we underestimated Sam Patterson. How dare us? And we were off. Until then, we'll see. The last fight in the prelim cards is going to be Chris Duncan, the fighter from Scotland versus Omar Morales from Venezuela. And Mr. Duncan fought on Contender Series a few years ago. You might recognize the name. He didn't do well in Contender Series, but then bounced back with two straight wins. Now he finds himself here fighting on home turf against Omar Morales. Before we get into the breakdown, we'll tell you that we do like Omar Morales to win the fight. I know it's probably not a popular pick, and I do understand the people that are over in Scotland and UK are like, this guy's an idiot. Chris Duncan's so talented. How can you pick the foreigner? I, I get it. I'm not picking based upon my heart. I'm just picking based upon the numbers and what the numbers are telling us. Omar, by decision, is the pick. Now, full disclosure before we go any further. We are not very confident in this pick. We're not very confident in either guy. <laughs> There's some question marks on both sides, some age concerns for Morales, durability concerns for Duncan. We'll go through it with you. We're going to spare you the details on topology. You guys know what their records are. You guys know where they stand. Price line-wise, it's a pick em, right down the middle. Morales minus 110, Duncan minus 105, minus 110. Again, we like Morales to win the fight by decision. For Morales, he's a veteran. He fought in Bellator, Contender Series, and now the UFC. This fight will mark his seventh fight in the UFC. His experience in fighter IQ are what we're counting on here to get the edge over the young buck, Chris, Chris, Christian Duncan. By the way, there's two Chris Duncans on this card. This is Christian Duncan versus Omar Morales, not Chris Leroy Duncan, who's fighting against Todorovic. Okay, back to this breakdown. For Omar... Striking numbers are a bit pedestrian. He only averages about a half a takedown per fight, doesn't average a lot of strikes, and tends to be low volume at times. Has 63% takedown defense, and that's pretty good. He will be tested there because Duncan does like to mix it up and take the fight to the ground. Morales needs to keep the fight standing, work at range, and pick up the volume a little bit to be in the fight. One of the most impressive things about Morales is the fact that he went the full distance against Giga Chikadze back in 2020. And now around that time, Giga was getting a lot of love. He kind of ended up being a little overrated. But the point is, they went the full distance. I don't think that Omar gets knocked out by Duncan here. I think Omar has has shown that he can hang. Now, of course, in recent fights, you know, he's been finished. You know, we'll go through that too. But I look at Giga and I say, Giga is a better fighter right now still, maybe overrated at times, but a little better right now than even Chris Duncan. Makes sense. You know, so it went to full decision in that fight. So if you could do that kind of a performance again, you know, MMA math for you, then maybe he has some success. That's our thinking, just, you know, putting it out there. But without question, we think Giga is a higher level opponent uh, than Chris Duncan, and he went the full distance with him. All right, so for Duncan, physically very impressive. He's from Scotland. Again, another ginger, built very well. Averages about 4.18 takedowns per fight. That's a massive amount of takedown offense, a lot of high energy volume in the grappling department, and that could overwhelm anyone, right? Has a good amount of hype behind him as well. There's going to be a lot of action in the crowd, and he's from Scotland. He looks the part, and he's got, had a good record. Has only one blemish on his career. So all that kind of support, that does make a difference too. You know what I mean? 
Now, Duncan's last defeat was two years ago on Contender Series, and to be quite honest with you, it's the kind of loss that's hard to get out of your head. We cover Contender Series, Contender Series here pretty like pretty closely the last two years, so these fights that we're talking about in the past, we, we broke them down, we remember them. We had Duncan that night favored, and he was a small favorite, and there was a lot of hype coming out of the UK. A lot of our fans that were across the pond commenting on the video and how much they like him. Well, doesn't go well. Slava Klaus, Slava Borshev ends up mollywhopping Duncan in round two. And it ends up being actually round one where he first tags Duncan. Duncan goes to the corner, doesn't fully recover, comes out round two and just gets dusted like 24, 25 seconds. Big issues for us in that fight were, okay, you get tagged, you get chin checked. You go to the corner, you have all that time to recover. You come back out and you still are not employing good survival skills or or grappling and you get tagged up and just knocked all over it was a bad scene and for slava claus he's okay but he's okay he hasn't been amazing thus far in the ufc he's been on the skid himself that was not a good loss that was not a good loss there was issues with durability issues with with survival skills and ultimately even a little bit issue with with just cardio which maybe was a combination of all of it so yeah, not a good knockout. Now, we don't think that the the chin will be a factor in this fight because Omar is not known for knocking people out. He doesn't really have knockout power. So from that standpoint, I don't think Duncan gets hurt here. Well, I don't think Duncan gets knocked out. Can I see Duncan get wobbled, take a hard punch, you know, get, get stanky leg? Yeah, I can see that. It's our humble opinion. He's got some kind of, there's something there with the durability. You'd have to watch that fight against Slava Klaus to kind of know what we're talking about. There's some durability there. He doesn't take punches very well. Uh, flip, give you an example. Turkle, the guy Turkle who just saw, fought last weekend against Vitor Petrino. Now that motherfucker got a chin. That dude got a freaking chin. Everyone had that fight going under. We did too. Under two and a half. No distance. Vitor hits him with everything. The kitchen sink, kitchen sink and then some. And this guy, Turkle, took those punches. There's guys who can't do that. Like Dusko Todorovic, can I, you hit Dusko with any one of those punches that Vitor hit Turkle with? Dusko goes down. Now maybe Dusko pops back up, but he goes down. Same thing with Chris Duncan. Duncan can't take those kind of punches, and most humans cannot. Let's put it out there. But that's one of our concerns. You know, if Duncan wants a future in fighting, he's gotta, you know, gotta get better at defense. His numbers are wild in terms of striking strikes absorbed. He's absorbing 7.94 strikes per minute. Now, granted, it's just one fight, one small sample size, but Borshev was lighting his ass up. It's not a good look. Again, for him in this case, in this fight, kind of fortunately, he's not fighting a guy who's high volume. Omar Morales doesn't tend to do that. So maybe Chris Duncan gets away with one. The betting spots we like the most for this fight are the fight going over two and a half rounds at plus 160. Morales by decision at plus 200. And we may place a flyer, excuse me, on Morales by knockout at plus 335 and Duncan by knockout at plus 225 just because we could see the durability become a factor. If Duncan rolls over Morales and like takes him down, beats him up, and finishes him, I'll be a little surprised. I think some people are expecting that from him. I don't think he's that good yet. He's still young, some time, uh, plenty of time to improve. This is a great opportunity for him. I think UFC is giving him a fair opponent. It's a good test. And we'll know. Like, if he loses this fight, kind of finding out, wait a second, Duncan is not, you know, he may be popular over there and goes and fights other promotions and does well, but UFC is a different animal, right? So, 
On that note, guys, we're sticking with our pick, though. Morales to win the fight by decision. Let's keep it moving. And the last fight in the premium card is going to be a featherweight battle at 145 pounds between Maquan Americani, who goes by Mr. Finland, and Jack Shore, who goes by Jack the Tank Shore, who hails from Wales. So both guys are not terribly far from home. They should have plenty of fanfare in attendance. Jack Shore probably ends up getting a little more of the fans because he seems to be right now in a more of an up, uptick, and Maquan Americani is kind of crossroads here in, in his career. We'll talk about that when we go to the breakdown. We like Jack Shore to win the fight. More than likely, Jack Shore gets the fight by a submission. We like that spot. Jack Shore by submission is plus 185. Looks like the books are kind of onto that as well. If you're going to bet on Maquan Americani, consider him by submission at plus 475. That's just what he does. Fight going to distance, not likely. We got it at minus 280 for the fight, not going to decision. We'll sprinkle that into some parlays. The under two and a half prop is not available just yet. Now, the Jack Shore money line is wild. Minus 550 for Jack Shore. Plus 390 for Maquan Americani. You know, this price is probably incorrect, to be honest with you. You know, this is like, it's weird because UFC doesn't usually have such wide lines. And this card has a handful of them. The Gunnar Nelson fight and Jack Shore and Mokayev. It might um, attack the dogs is usually our philosophy. In this case, though, this seems to be like a bounce back fight for Jack Shore. UFC's kind of hooking him up, getting back in the win column, came up short in his last fight, you know, so on and so on. So we'll talk more about that in a second. But as for their details, Jack Shore, 16-1 and one overall, 4-1 in his last five fights. Big favor here. 28 years old, 5'8 in height with a 71-inch reach. He's out of Shore Mixed Martial Arts. That is his family's gym. Makwan Americani, 17-8 overall, a little more experience. 34 years old, about 6 years older, 5'10 in height, 2 inches taller. 72-inch reach, 1-inch height advantage there for Makwan. And Makwan is out of SBG Island. So he will have... Um, I mean, he won't, he's not fighting in his home country, but he's you know got a gym there in Ireland he's fighting out of, which is very well known. SBG has a bunch of fighters on this card, so you have some additional level of support, right? Some fans from Finland and then his teammates from the gym as well. Okay, as for the details in these two fighters here, Jack Shore, we mentioned before, 28 years old, landing 3.96 strikes per minute. That's pretty good volume. Absorbing 2.34, good defense. Takedown, though. Here's where he gets his, his, uh, his bread buttered, right? Lands 3.66 takedowns per 15 minutes or per three-round fight with 80% takedown defense. So defensively and offensively, his wrestling game is very well-rounded. He's a right-handed fighter, and he's fought 29 total mixed martial arts fights. That's important to, to remember because when you see Jack Shore's his resume, it's 16-1, 17 total fights. Like another 12 fights there as an amateur, go back and look on. And he was undefeated, I believe, as an amateur as well. So he he's not undefeated anymore, but he's undefeated as an amateur. A lot of good experience. And so he's got 29 total fights on his on his resume. Amateur experience, here's how we look at it like this. They're like half bouts, not the full time. So if you combine them half and half, put them all together, he's probably got about a total of like six or seven extra full bouts in total. Not a lot, but still it gives him more than what he sees on his pro record of 16 and 1. Okay. Consistent training. We do like that about Jack Shore. He's been at the same gym forever. His dad's like his head coach, and it's a good gym. They have other good fighters as well, and so you like the consistent training, family environment. He's 5-1 in the UFC. That is impressive. They've given him good opponents, but still impressive. He was in Cage Warriors where he was running trains with those guys before he joined the UFC, so he's been fighting pretty good promotions and good fighters now for the last four or five years. 
His last fight, okay, let's talk about this. Last fight, he was submitted in round two, and he was a minus 170 favorite in that spot. It's a learning experience. We had received word before that fight from people in the camp of Ricky Simone, just contacts we had that Ricky Simone was looking really good, and that based upon those opinions of those in the know, that he was going to be able to out-wrestle Jack Shore. Jack Shore is a good wrestler. He is a good wrestler. He, he looks pretty good when he's out there wrestling opponents and submissions, whatever else. It's all there. But he ain't good when he goes against like a top-level American wrestler or he goes against, like let's say, a Dagestani guy like a, a Mokayev. And we've seen examples of it. We talked about Malcolm Gordon, right? So Malcolm Gordon, he's a good wrestler. And then he faced Mokayev. And it's like he's not a good wrestler anymore. <laughs> like, so in the case of Jack Shore, like he's a good wrestler until he went up against Ricky Simone and he won't go wrestling anymore and he got submitted. There's wrestling, there's grappling, and then there's elite for wrestling and elite grappling. And it, you don't have both usually. Like Khabib Nurmagomedov had a level of elite grappling and elite wrestling. It's not often. Uh, someone like Charles Oliveira has elite grappling, not elite wrestling. You see what I'm saying? Like, it, you know, you don't usually put it all together. In the case of Jack Shore, I think he's very good at, at, at both. But he ain't elite. And so he's got some room to grow. It was a, a bit of a moment for him to learn and grow from it. And uh, hopefully he moves forward, right? Now, that was his first real test for Jack Shore. And I thought it was a justifiable test. He was a favorite. He was undefeated. People were be, you know, getting excited about him. Trying to go like 17 and 0. And then Ricky Simone just like poops all over those plans and gets a dominant win, round two submission. On one side, you could say learning experience, fine. Okay, whatever. On the flip side, that was the first real test from the UFC, and he failed. I'm not trying to be harsh here, but he did not pass that test. <laughs> he couldn't even get the decision against his first real test. In this fight here, Jack Short is fighting a guy in Makwan Americani who is not a test. This is not a test. This is not a test of the broadcast communication systems. Remember that when you were, you were kids? When I was a kid? This is not a test. This is a get right, bounce back girlfriend, temporary girlfriend, soak up the tears. Makwan Americani, nice guy. I wish he could get himself back in the win column. This is not the fight to do it. You know, I, I don't know why he took the fight. Maybe he doesn't have any choice. But he's a match in a lot of areas of this fight. As for Makwan, let's talk about him. 34 years old. He, he's, he's getting up there. For this division, 145 pounders, that, that's like being 43 for heavyweight. I'm not kidding. Out of SBG Ireland, you like that. He'll have some teammates there. He's a southpaw. Average fight time, about 9 minutes, 11 seconds. His striking ratio is, is atrocious. He lands 1.35 per minute. So he, there's no striking going on with Makwan. He's a grappler, that's why. But no striking. Then he absorbs 2.98, or basically three strikes per minute. So my man's hitting you once per minute, getting hit three times per minute. Can't win fights like that. Now, averaging 4.15 takedowns per fight, that number, we, we have it highlighted in our notes. That's impressive. That's where he gets his work done. 25 total fights between amateur and pro and exhibition the whole nine. Lots of submissions. That's his thing. You know, that's and a matter of fact... His last three wins, they were all by submission. He has not won a fight <laughs> via another method since 2018. So since 2018, the last five years, the only way that my man Makwan has won a fight is by submission. He is extremely one-dimensional. That's the only place he could do some work. 
And in this fight, he will have some opportunities. So from that standpoint, you want to sprinkle some money on Maquan by submission, we ain't mad at you. For Maquan, eight years in the UFC, that's worth something. This will be his 14th career UFC fight. That's a lot of time in the UFC. He signed the UFC in 2015. So eight years. That's impressive. Shouldn't be, again, we got a line here, plus 390 on Maquan. Like, he can't fight. What's up with this? Like he could fight. He could fight. He's got submission skills. He could finish Jack Shore if Jack Shore makes a mistake. He ain't gonna knock out Jack Shore. He ain't gonna knock him out with one point three five strikes per minute. But he could submit the hell out of a lot of people. I'm just saying that submission prop at plus four seventy five Maquan. You have to play it. If not, you're being irresponsible here because you know it's in his toolbox. It's it's a method of victory for him. It's maybe the only method, right? So for competition, Makwan has definitely faced the better competition over those eight years. He's facing some pretty good fighters. Now, his biggest win, surprisingly, wasn't a big-time name. It was Mike Gundy last year. That fight was being held over summer across the pond. He submitted Mike Gundy. That was probably his toughest opponent that he won over. And that's the kind of the case of Makwan's career, right? You know, his last 10 fights, he's 4-6. and six. No good. Uh, durability. He's been finished in two of his last three fights. He's been finished three times in his career in total. And some bad losses, right? So he lost to Shane Burgos and Edson Barbosa. Let's put this into a framework for you. Shane Burgos didn't get, like, kicked out of the UFC, but he's no longer in the UFC. He's now in the PFL. Edson Barbosa is 2-5 and five in his last seven fights. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, those are like, ugh. And then he also lost to Kamala Kirk. I'm talking about Marikani. Marikani lost to Kamala Kirk who's 3-3 three and three in his last six fights. So bottom line, my man Americani is taking L's from guys like Burgos, no longer in the UFC. Edson Barbosa, way below 500 in his last two, three years. Kamala Kirk, at 500 in the last few years. That's who he's losing to. You know what I mean? And split decisions, by the way. He's been to a split decision twice. He's 1-1. One one. Those just That's because no knockout power. Limited striking. You know, he's not going to dazzle you on the feet. He's got to have to get control time, attempt submissions, very one-sided. Now, the last detail on him, and maybe the most important one is time. How much time does he have, you know? At 34 years old, he's been through the, like, the going and changing gyms, and, and I, I found a new way of doing things, and, you know, I think it was like two, three fights ago, he came in with, like, I'm, I'm refocused, and, you know, and, and you know and you believe him. They're all trying to get their shit together, right? You know, he comes in with a, you know, he's got this re-energized mindset, and that was the fight, I think, with, yeah, it was after a month, it was after the Gundy fight. Like, he wins the Gundy fight, and he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm focused, and I'm ready, and then he goes out there and gets Knocked out by Jonathan Pearson round two. <laughs> so, I, you know, I mean, I like the guy. He has the best tapology photo of all time with him sitting there with like three or four women just kind of draped around him, whole, caressing his face. And he's like, give me that. Like, he's got the look uh, that this guy had from that movie, <laughs> that model movie with that Ben Stiller. I forgot the name of that movie when he gave the different face, like Magnum and shit like that. Yeah, that's the Mach 1 Americani face. I'm completely off topic now, talking way too much. Bottom line is, at 34 years old for my man, Americani, it is now or never. You know, I don't think he's got much left in the tank. I think he's had a, a very good career for a guy who's, you know, came from like the Middle East, I believe, initially, and then 
migrated with his family to Finland and went through bullying in high school and you know, been through quite a bit, man. He's accomplished a lot in his life, and uh, he he was, I think, nominated to, like Mister Finland or some shit like that, which is why he goes by Mister Finland. It's kind of like a beauty pageant or something. <laughs> he's a good looking guy. Anyway, it's about that time for Mach One. Unfortunately, he's up against it. Uh, we're gonna sprinkle the the sub prop though for him at plus four seventy five. We're gonna play that sub prop for Jack Shore. And we're also going to play the fight, not going to decision at minus 280. That's your breakdown. And that's the last fight on the premium card. Let's move up to the main card. Here we go. Next up, we've got a middleweight bout. 185-pounders, Marvin Vittori, the Italian dream, versus Roman Delitza, the Caucasian. Like, as in from the mountains of Caucasus over in Georgia. Delita is from Georgia, and I thought right away when I thought this breakdown, I'm like, wait a second, Marab Tavashvili is from Georgia. Is it time for the Georgians? You know, Ilya Teporia is from Georgia. Those mother efforts can fight. Tough dudes. And Delita is on a bit of a streak, so he should not be overlooked here. We'll tell you, though, right off the rip, that we do like Marvin Vittori to win this fight by decision. That's where we kind of found ourselves being on. That's the spot we like the most. I'll tell you what about Marvin Vittori. He does have the credentials. He's got more experience. He's fought better competition. A lot of reasons to like him, but but not a finisher. So tends to go to the scorecards. You know what I'm saying? I don't know how that works out. It, it eventually over time can blow up in his face, you know, going to the scorecards so often. So that's the one huge issue we have with him. Let me talk some numbers here with you on Marvin Vittori. So landing 4.2 strikes per minute, absorbing 3.58. Average fight time, 16 minutes and 27 seconds. My man has been in so many five-rounders that now his average fight time is beyond three rounds. And this is a three-round fight. Takedown defense, 74%. Very good. And he'll need that here because Roman Delitza will at least try to grab a little bit. He's from Georgia, man. Quasi-Russians, you know. They like to rush. They like to... They're rushing, grappling, and rushing as well. <clears throat> 4.2 again, landed per minute, 3.58 absorb. So good output, okay defense. And Vittoria lands 1.89 takedowns per 15 minutes. Vittoria's fought 28 total mixed martial arts fights between amateur and pro, exhibition the whole nine, and he's 29 years old. And he's probably one of the only Italian fighters on the roster. Yeah, and if not the only one, probably the only one that's good. I don't mean to be mean. So, for Vittori, championship-level experience. Has fought in championship bouts. Has been in there with guys like Israel Adesanya. Has got a distance. Very durable fighter and a smart fighter. Doesn't put himself in danger. Knows how to protect himself. You don't usually see him getting molly-whopped around. 28 total career fights. He's never been finished. That's not luck. You know, that's the, that's the way he's fighting, right? For example, we talked about Brian Barberena earlier. Vittori fights the opposite of how Brian Barberena fights. <laughs> Vittori fights with some level of patience and skill and, and some level of caution, right? And then lasting for Vittori, very good cardio. I mean, there's been speculation he's on the sauce or the juice because he does have good cardio. He's all jacked up pre-fight and looks like he's on the roids, whatever. But um, yeah, average fight time, it's like I said, over three rounds because the guy has fought so many five-round fights and good cardio. Our concerns for Vittori, last three fights, he's one and two. He talked a big-ass game against... Um, Adesanya, he was just would not shut up leading up to that fight and then went out there and looked tentative. Like, that's just nice. I'll put it nice. He looked soft. <laughs> he went out there and looked soft after doing all that talking. So, I don't know. That's just one fight. 
Finish rate. His last five fights have all gone to decision. He has one finish in his last 12 fights. So Marvin Vittori does not display good finishing ability. The last finish he had, which is one finish in the last 12 fights, was against Carl Robertson, who's like, eh, okay fighter. <laughs> not very durable. And that was by submission, mind you. So over the course of my man Marvin Vittori's career, he has only one knockout. And that was like eight years ago <laughs> before he got into the UFC. You would never think that Marvin Vittori does not have knockout power, but the proof is in the numbers. He does not have knockout power. How does that matter for this fight? Well, it doesn't matter for this fight. It just matters for his career. This dude's going into a lot of decisions. And we know how that works out. As for Roman Delita, the Georgian, 34 years old. So it's weird. He's five years older than Vittori. You, you, you just hear Marvin Vittori's name so often in the last few years. He's been around. He's been on the top end of the UFC longer than my man Delita. You would think this would be reversed, right? Let me double check, actually. Yeah, so Vittori is 29. Yeah, and Delita's 34, eight months. So Vittori, Vittori will still be 29 years old in a few months when Delita turns 35. So about a five and a half year age difference. Not a big deal. Uh, not a big deal, but the youth advantage is definitely the side of Vittori. Anyway, back to Delita, orthodox stance for Vittori. Vittori is a southpaw. That does benefit him a little bit. And the Georgian, balanced grappler, average fight time for Roman Delita, nine minutes and six seconds. So a little less fight time, doesn't quite get into that third round. And it speaks to his finishing ability, for sure. Um, very good finish rate, which we'll talk about in a second. His striking number is a little bit pedestrian, though. He lands 2.62 strikes, but it absorbs 2.06. Takedown offense, good work there. Lands 2.12 takedowns per fight. That's Roman Delita, lands 2.12 per fight. Takedown defense, we highlighted here on our, our notes. Um, now it's a good time to remind you, our notes are available on our Google Drive. That link is down below. There's a link there to our Google Drive. If you go there, you can open up the folder for UFC 286. In that folder, you'll see fight notes in Word document for each individual fight the pros and cons for each fighter, along with some of their statistics. You'll also find a data sheet in there that has tons of data in it about each fighter, along with film links for their prior fights, save you some time having to search the web for prior fights. It's all kind of organized there for you. That Excel sheet is also available via our Google Drive. And that link is down below here on YouTube. 100% for free, no signing up to nothing like that. Um, please check it out. But we're back to our notes. So. 33% takedown defense for Roman Delitza is just not good. My nose is itching me. I apologize. Uh, it's not a good number. And you believe over the course of three rounds, Vittoria at least finds a few, uh, you know, a takedown or two if he wants to. For Delitza, what's the like about him? He's on a hot streak. He's looking to win his fifth fight in a row, all in the UFC. His only loss in the UFC was to Trevin Giles, and that was by decision. He's never been finished before. Very durable. His finish rate's impressive. 10 of his 12 career wins have been finishes. You also notice his last few fights. Here's probably the biggest thing you like about Roman Delita. He's making improvements. He's fighting a little smarter, showing more punching power. He is showing development. He's showing improvements. Even for his age, he's showing what you want to see from a fighter who's still new to the UFC. He's also very active. He fought three times last year, and he fought twice in 2021. Now, here's our concern for Delita. Fighter IQ. He will give up position to chase things like a heel hook. Now, that's a few fights ago that he did this. 
is out of his system. <laughs> you know, we're hoping again, we, we credit him for making improvements in the past though has made some questionable moves. Cardio. Okay. So cardio is a weird thing with him. I think it depends upon his camp, his preparation. There's been times when his cardio let him down, but he fought through it and, and showed, you know, toughness and didn't get finished. Right. There's time when his cardio again, let him down. So he couldn't execute the position he wanted to the ground and, and, you know, maybe can't keep his technique together and gets sloppy looking, but then shows the chin and durability to get through. So the cardio shows itself in different ways. Has he gotten a better hold on that? I don't know. Is that a training camp issue? I don't know. I don't know. But it's a question mark that's still out there. And then in the process of getting tired, he starts to overswing, get off balance. You do that against a guy like Vittori who's got decent wrestling and grappling skills and takedown offense. That's how we can see the fight falling into Vittori's hands. Vittori, look, Vittori is a tacticianer. He's a points fighter. I mean, no disrespect by that. The numbers don't lie. One finish in his last 12 damn fights, it's because he's a points fighter. He's a higher IQ fighter. He's the rifle favorite here. Not currently sitting at minus 300. That's probably disrespectful because Delita's is not that bad and Delita could connect on something and maybe make this fight go out in one minute. But yeah, Delita, he's up against a tough challenge here. It's his hardest opponent probably he's faced. And Vittori has been there and done that. Um, he's got still enough left in the gas tank maybe to make another title run at some point. So we're going Vittori to win the fight by decision. In terms of the betting spots we like the most of this fight, the fight going over two and a half rounds at minus 220 is a spot we like. The fight going two decision at minus 180, another good spot. If you like Delita, you're thinking he's going to finish the fight. You know, that, that would be your thinking. So for Delita inside the distance, that's plus 325. On the flip side, when was the last time Vittori got finished? Well, that's right, never. <laughs> you know, 28 fights, never been finished. So, you know, something's got to give. I just don't think these guys finish each other. I think we're going to see a fight going over two and a half, starting around three, going the distance, and then it's about who wins the fight in the scorecards. And that, to me, is nine times out of ten Vittori, right? So Vittori to win the fight by decision is currently sitting at minus 135. Check that out. You won't usually see that where a prop that's specific like that is minus money. Uh, it's an indicator. It is an indicator that that's where the bookies feel like is the most likely spot to land. That's a likely outcome. On the flip side, deletes it by decision. What do you think it is? Plus 900. <laughs> so there you go again. The numbers are suggesting that's just not a likely path to victory. If you have Delita into the distance, for example, you're getting him at into the distance around, excuse me, plus 325 compared to by decision of plus 900. So anyway, we like Victoria to win the fight by decision. That's our pick. Let's move on. All right, boys and girls, next fight's going to be a women's bout. Flyweight battle, 125 pounders, the legendary Jennifer Maya. First, a newcomer, Casey O'Neill. We have a lot to say about this fight. We'll try to keep it short and sweet for you. Out the gate, we got a hot take for you. Jennifer Maya, by decision. That's how we see this fight going down. We believe the veteran savvy, fighter IQ, went full distance, five rounds with Shevchenko. I mean, she's, she's proven. She's a veteran. Getting old, yes. We'll talk about that. Casey Neal. O'Neal, sorry. The big concern with her coming off of a major knee injury. You know, we'll talk about that. 
we'll raise some questions. Just questions. We don't know for sure how her knee is doing, but we have, you know, we'll speculate on some things because we'll have to speculate here. <laughs> anyway, all that said, I'm going to save you guys the details on Tapology. If you don't know, Tapology.com has their records. You know, Casey's undefeated 9 0. Jennifer, Jennifer Maya has 30 total fights under her belt. Now, I will tell you this actually, Casey O'Neill is from Scotland. She is the hometown fighter. That is of note. And of course, Jennifer Maya is from Brazil. Anyway, back to these two fighters and our details and our breakdown. So like Maya by decision at plus 190, not a ton of meat on that bone. I thought with her being an underdog, she's plus 150 on the money line. So she's like plus 190 by decision, which means the books expect that to be the most likely path to victory for her. We're not saying we're going to bet that spot, but that's how we see the fight going. And so we're just giving that number plus 190. Before you think we're crazy and before you're like, hey, this guy's bananas. There's nobody's talking about. Look, we've, we've had a track record recently of picking some pretty good dogs. We weren't alone, but we were one of the people that were in the Lipsky tribe last week. Okay, so we have a little bit of recent track record of not being completely cuckoo. In this case, I think we've got some good concrete reasons to at least pump the brakes on playing Casey O'Neill at this price point of minus 185 to minus 190 to minus even 200, right? O'Neill, super talented, comes from a mixed martial arts family. Her dad was in the game, ha has a sister who's fighting now, I think as an amateur or pro. Uh, loves the fight game. You could just sort of, she oozes fight game. She, you know, does interviews. She's comfortable in this space. Um, was born in Scotland. So she's got the Scottish roots, but I believe she grew up in Australia. I believe so, right? Anyway, lots of fighters in her family. She's attractive, got the look, got the swagger. She has the best of both worlds. UFC wants to get good female fighters on the roster, like they want to get good guys on the roster too. But for the women, if they can get a pretty woman, that's actually pretty good. Actually good, too. <laughs> Gotta be both, right? That's the golden goose. They have some girls that are really good that are, you know, I mean, not as marketable, not as attractive. And then they've had their run of certain fighters like a, a Kay Hansen, for example, who was much better looking than she was actually in the fight game. And there's still a few of those floating around the roster. So for the UFC, Casey O'Neill represents the best of both worlds. She is good, talented, good background, good foundation. Now at Syndicate, in, now out of Syndicate MMA in uh, Los Angeles, good gym. And then again, she's undefeated. So she's got the whole package, right? I just want to put this out there too. She appears very confident. If you hear her in some recent interviews, she's, she's posturing. She's talking about the future and... I'm going to be a top 10 contender. And she called into the Ariel Hawani show and was like, yeah, you know, don't forget about putting me on the list. And an Ariel joke like, yeah, I kind of overlooked and I forgot about her. And she's coming back from this injury and so on and so on. <clears throat> so very confident. Now for our concerns for the very talented Casey O'Neill. Okay. This by far will be her toughest test. Jennifer Maya is legit. You can argue if Maya's top five or six or seven or Will, will ever be a championship contender again. You could argue about that. But over the course of her career, most people will tell you she's pretty legit, right? Tough opponent. The biggest concern is Casey coming off of an ACL tear. If you don't know what that means, it's one of the more important ligaments in the knee. Not absolutely mandatory. You could tear, tear your ACL and actually not get surgery. 
uh, rehabilitate it, uh, continue to fight or do other sports. But what it does is it provides stability in the knee, for lack of better words, the anterior cruciate ligament. If you tear it in the female body, the chances of tearing it again are very high, super duper high. If you tear it in one knee, whether you're a female or a male, the chances of tearing it in the other knee are much higher. There's just a ton of studies and a ton of research there. And there's some like physical math that adds up to why this happens. A lot of it's genetic. Some of it's the physique of the female body, the way they're built. If you know anything about female basketball, they tear their ACLs all the time. And usually when a girl tears her ACL in one knee, she will tear it again, or if not, at least tear the other one as well. It's just part of the, the landscape. Casey's young. That's good. Most ACL tears now, it's eight, nine months. You're bouncing back. You're making a full recovery. But everyone responds a little differently. There was a conversation she had, an interview like four or five months ago. She discussed still finishing up the rehab. And I don't know why I got this impression. I just felt like the rehab was taking longer. Maybe that's how I remember this interview. It wasn't a quick recovery. Now, you could say that's good. She took her time got the impression that this wasn't a smooth recovery put it that way it wasn't a quick clean recovery she needed to take quite a bit of time off how does she respond she's not taking a light opponent that's that, that's a big no-no here huge like i'm confused why is the ufc doing this why is casey doing this give her a tune-up match she's coming back from a major knee injury don't give her Jennifer Meyer, who went five rounds with not just Valentina Shevchenko, but 2020 Valentina Shevchenko, prime Shevchenko. And let's maybe give Jennifer Maya the credit for showing everyone the smallest little chink in the armor, which now has been fully exposed. Grasso getting a submission against Valentina Shevchenko on the ground. Maya controlled Shevchenko on the ground and won one of the rounds in that fight. And everyone was like, oh my gosh, Shevchenko actually lost a round. Can't believe it. Well, Maya, Maya, quietly, the veteran that she is, showed the entire world a little bit of the blueprint. And then, of course, Shevchenko would go on to then fight. I forgot who she fought before, Grasso, but the one she fought before, Tyler Santos, was it? I might be remembering the name incorrectly. But anyway, in that fight, you saw the blueprint again. Take her to the ground. The Grasso fight, it's a little bit of a fluky spinning kick, but ultimately the fight gets to the ground. Grasso immediately takes advantage. And so you could trace all this back to Jennifer Maya. Don't know why the UFC is doing this. I don't know why Casey's taking this fight. She could definitely have taken an easier opponent. I would have. Let's just play devil's advocate. You know, not devil's advocate. Let's, let's play facts here for you. Rehabilitating a major knee injury, very tough. I never went through it myself. Had teammates go through it. It's difficult. <laughs> There's emotional roller coasters. She talked about this. Is she going to be 100%? It's it's a little difficult to tell. Like it's it's tough. One thing I know for sure, if she was doing jogging or extensive conditioning as part of her stamina development. Uh, maybe just whatever, keeping a leaner physique, whatever the reason why she might have been doing just simple road work, that's running, jogging, or even on the treadmill, that shit got cut out 
or got cut way down in this camp. You're not jogging on a knee that's been surgically repaired within the last year for a major knee injury. Now, you might be getting on the bicycle and doing some swimming, other forms of cardiovascular activity, but it doesn't never really equate to what it's like to get on the road and run. Long story short, this affects your training. It affects your stamina. It, it has an impact on all this. Now, our last concern for O'Neill, we talked about the injury. We talked about her facing her toughest competition, the year layoff. Okay. How about this one? And now we're fishing here. I know I'm going a little bit deep into a tantrum. But her mentality in some recent interviews was that Maya is an afterthought. And she's already talking about, I'm, I have this, my eyes set on this. She didn't say like after I beat Maya. It was just talking in, in the frame of mind post Maya fight as if that fight already happened and as if she already won that fight. It wasn't rude. Did it come off as arrogant? It's just the mentality. Looking beyond someone like Jennifer Maya for a young fighter like her, you can see how that could be a recipe for disaster, right? Anyway, as for Jennifer Maya, approaching the twilight years of her career, no question, right? Approaching her mid-30s. She lost by decision to Valentina Shevchenko a few fights ago. Three years ago, not to be exact. She won the first round of that fight. Again, we talked about that, the takedown, position control. And she put the blueprint out there for how to get to Shevchenko. Her ability to win round one in that kind of atmosphere, prime Shevchenko, five-round fight, went the full distance. It just says a lot. Now, granted, that was three years ago, too. So for Maya, she was more in her athletic prime back then and maybe has experienced a little bit of a layoff. We're happy to tell you that we did an interview with Jennifer Maya recently. That interview is up right here on our YouTube channel. If you just look through some of our recent videos, you'll see the interview with Jennifer Maya. It is in Portuguese with some English subtitles. And uh, and I'm talking Portuguese, which is hilarious because I don't speak Portuguese, but I gave it the best go I could while I was reading. Anyway, um, we did the interview with her, and you can tell that she's very comfortable right now, in a good place mentally, uh, spiritually. She loves her home country of Brazil. And she volunteered, in her own words, that she wants to make another run of the title. One more last shot. She feels confident. Her camp has been smooth. She has everything she needs. Uh, she's just very happy and, and, and healthy and ready for this opportunity. I think a little bit in the back of her mind, she's feeling like people may be look, overlooking her a little bit. I don't think that's like grinding her. She's not. That, she, she's beyond this. She's been around for a long time. But I think she's a little surprised. People are like, wow, just overlooking me. Like, I've always been a pretty good fighter. I'm, I'm very durable, you know, so on and so on. But at 34 years old, the clock is ticking. This is an important fight for her. If she were to win this fight, like, I know why Jennifer's taking this fight. It makes perfect sense for Jennifer Maya. Like, stop the momentum of an undefeated fighter. Hey, there it is. UFC, get me back into the fold now. I just put a stop, put, a, put, put, put the brakes on Casey O'Neill. Coming back from a knee injury is the best time for Jennifer Maya to fight her. I just don't get it for Casey O'Neill, right? <laughs> I don't get it for Casey O'Neill. Now, we're a little biased towards Jennifer Maya, and, and so I don't want to let this completely affect our prediction here. At first glance, we did look at Casey O'Neill as the rightful favorite because she's undefeated and good gym, syndicate MMA, and you know, good wheelhouse of resources around her. Again, all of it, right? But let's not get distracted by like her looks, the marketability, an undefeated record where she didn't fight that many people. You know what I mean? 
So trying to do this without being biased towards Jennifer Maya, we genuinely feel like Maya can win this fight. And at plus money, you know, plus 150-ish, plus 175 range, if you're just betting on the money line, you're getting some more return. I think Casey O'Neill should not be close to a two-to-one favorite given the circumstances. She's very good. She maybe wins the fight and makes us look foolish. But it's a tough spot. It's not easy. And Maya is a tough fighter uh, who's durable. You know, like... If people think Casey O'Neill is going to come out, for example, and rip down Maya to the ground and have you know have her way, that's not that simple. You know, Maya's got Brazilian blood running through her veins. She's a stocky, tough fighter. I, I don't want to wish any ill will on Casey O'Neill, but she also has the surgically repaired knee. You know, does she have a moment there? Does her knee give her a problem? You know, is she going to be as flexible getting the fight to the ground? I mean, all these things become factors, and so. We talked enough about that. Maya's the veteran. She's fought better competition. She's not coming off of a major knee injury. I think that's enough of a reason to go with Jennifer Maya. So we're going with her by decision. The spots you like from a betting perspective are the over two and a half rounds at minus 300. The fight goes the distance at minus 260. And then Maya by decision at plus 190. We'll have some action in the splits as well. This fight could be going to a split. And I believe one of them went to a split recently. If they didn't, this one could go to a split. And I can tell you, here's how it goes to a split. There's some grappling involved, which makes one or two of the rounds close. And, you know, it's like if you have two minutes of control in the first two minutes of the round, and then you get your feet and it's even, and then the other opponent takes you down and has the last minute of control in that round, that opponent might win the round just because they had the last minute of control and the referee saw that last Referees like don't have stopwatches or something on the side of the octagon to like hit the hit the clock when you get your takedown. The I don't I don't effing know. Anything's possible, and you know the crowd is going to be heavily on the side of their you know hometown girl Jennifer Maya from Scotland. So that's the breakdown, guys. We do like Jennifer Maya to come in here, unfortunately, and spoil the return for Casey O'Neill. But Casey O'Neill's young; she'll be fine. She'll be back to fight another day, and. Let's go. Viva Brazil. Let's go, Jennifer Maya. Next fight. Moving up the card, next fight to welterweight battle. 170 pounders, Gunner Nelson. What a great name for a fighter, Gunner. Versus Brian Barbarena, who goes by Bam Bam. If you have not watched Bam Bam fight before, he's pretty much box office. He blocks punches with his face. Has pretty good durability, doesn't mind leaking a little bit, likes to stand in trade, doesn't do any wrestling, so he's got a bit of a following. His fight last year with Matt Brown was legendary. Before I go any further, I'll give you our pick to win. We like Gunnar Nelson to win the fight by decision. You guys have their records or information on Tapology. I'm going to spare you the details and just jump right into our breakdown of this fight. So Nelson by decision is plus 210, much better than minus 450. This money line is broken. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a second. Completely off, doesn't make a lot of sense, and, and we'll explain it to you. We'll get right to the point here, but uh, this fight was a bit of a hard read. If you look closely at both fighters, you can find reasons why they can win the fight and why they could possibly lose the fight. And it finds you like you're tearing back and forth. When you do a breakdown, let's just say if you're out there doing breakdowns yourself, even if it's just like casual as a fan, you're looking at the stats and stuff, 
the deeper you go with these guys, the more and more you find similarities, you know, age, levels of durability, size, you know, it's, uh, there's not a lot different. Even fighter IQ tend to do things at times that are not in their most safest interest. Um, in the case of Nelson, he'll chase submissions at times, take a bunch of punches to the head he doesn't need to take in the process of chasing a heel hook. And again, with Brian Barberena gets hit a lot. So there's so many similarities. We found ourselves very torn. And then we come back around to the money line and we're like, what? Now, it was like minus 275, I believe, at one point for Gunner. Maybe they'd opened in that range. I'd have to go look up at the numbers here on bet fight odds. Looks like things opened up here. Yeah, okay. So Brian Barberena opened up at plus 250. And Gunnar Nelson opened up at minus, I guess, 308 range, minus 300. Anyway, it's exploded. Don't quite get it. Um, we'll keep going with the breakdown, try to explain this to you in layman's terms. All right, so Brian, he's a bit of a wild man. He can definitely change the entire fight with one punch. He's a veteran. Between these two, they're similar in age, but he's the one with more fights and more UFC experience. Brian is also a southpaw, which would be a little bit of an adjustment for Gunnar Nelson. And on the feet, Brian should have the edge. You know, you look at Gunnar Nelson's numbers, doesn't do much striking. Most of his game is on the ground, right? Now, we talked about the fight last year with Matt Brown, between Matt Brown and Brian Barberena. It was box office. It was the stuff of legends. But, man, it's just a very reckless fighting approach. And it's indicative in his numbers, right? So, Brian Barberena averages almost six strikes per minute, 5.92 to be exact. That's good. High output. You know, he's winging. He also absorbs 4.90. That's a bit much, you know, it's a bit much. And it will curb your career. I thought when I looked up this fight, I'm like, oh, Brian Barberina, he's probably getting his mid thirties now, right? 35, 36. And you see him, you look him up and Brian Barberina is 33, about to be 34. So, and he's the younger of the two fighters. That surprised me. It wasn't really, again, perception. Doesn't perception have a way of screwing up? Like what is the reality, what the numbers are? Anyway, back to Brian, the glaring weaknesses for him wrestling and that stand-up defense right only averaging 0.16 takedowns per fight i could be wrong i want to say brian barberina may have wrestled in high school now a long time ago but he doesn't wrestle in the cage he's of that same cloth as fighters like justin gaethje or kevin holland where they will fight in a manner that's in the best interest of the crowd and the fans even if it means they might lose the fight <laughs> even if they have an advantage somewhere so in the case of Brian Barberino, I don't expect him to be shooting for any takedowns. Our biggest concern, though, is the reckless fighting style. If he has someone in front of him who wants to just stand and trade, he'll do it. Like a good sport where him would be, for him would be the one where you hold on to something like you're arm wrestling. And then with the other hand, you're just punching the other person. You guys, are, there's no defense. It just punch the other person as many times as you can until somebody gets knocked out. He kind of fights like that, <laughs> except he's got both hands going and not really using too much uh too much uh, too much defense right so stand in trade it looks good for the fans but it's very reckless and ultimately it, it could be a problem for him sometimes it works out the matt brown fight last year some people thought matt brown won the fight he got the win whatevs okay as for nelson he's been very inconsistent that's a nice way of saying over his last eight fights at four and four he's been a 500 level fighter that's inconsistent he is capable of doing work on the ground he will rip apart his opponent on the ground if they allow it. In the case of Alex Oliveira, Alex Oliveira allowed it and he paid. It was shortly before the end of the second round 
when they fought. And my man here, Nelson, is raining down elbows, completely cuts open Alex Oliveira. There's blood coming out like a horror movie. And the fight gets stopped right before the end of the second round. Submission, cut, the whole nine. He had this guy all beat up. So on top, if he's he got you mounted, Nelson, that is, he'll do some damage, rain down elbows, keep position control. Not amazing, though, on the ground. He can get sloppy at times. I even wonder about his cardio in, in some instances. Fortunately for Nelson, and maybe this is why he's partially favored, Barbarina is not known for his wrestling, and he's got 54% takedown defense. Barbarina, that is. So you imagine at some point Nelson is going to be effective and successful in getting the fight to the ground. Early on, Nelson's going to push the fight against the fence. Look to get his arms around the, the thigh area. Look to get his hands together and get a double leg. Barbarina probably defends the first attempt, second attempt even. Comes down now to cardio, pace. Does Nelson have the gas tank to continue to try to wrestle? Does Barbarina have the gas tank to continue to defend the takedowns? I envision Barbarina doing some good things in the beginning, but if Nelson commits to a dominant wrestling game plan and has the cardio, has prepared right for this fight, he should be able to at some point get Barbarina down. Once down, Barbarina's not very good on the ground. He'll be fighting for his life on the ground, and if he gets tired and he's on his back, that's how he can lose some rounds and maybe eventually the whole fight. Now, Barbarina is pretty durable, so I don't want the stat to sound the wrong way. He is a pretty durable fighter, and you think of him as a guy who can go toe-to-toe, -to -toe, take one to give one, but he has been finished in five of his eight career losses. So he has been finished before... It's outside the realm of probably a high possibility, but it is a possibility that we could see Barbarina get exhausted on the ground, and then maybe those nasty elbows from Nelson. Nelson finds himself a TKO or submission because he does have submission ability as well on the ground. Okay, as for the money line, let's just touch upon this before we wrap this breakdown up. The money line doesn't make a lot of sense. Barbarina is about the same age. He's actually slightly younger, okay? He has more experience, okay? He's also fought better competition, so th those are those are facts, you know, those are things that we have to look at. We look at for every single fighter, right? He's also not an easy out. Finish five times, yes, in eight fights. But I preface that by saying he's a guy who could take a punch. We've seen that. Nelson, who's four and four in his last eight fights. I, am, I, am I missing some part of the equation? Is Barbarina that bad and we're overrating Barbarina? Is Nelson much better than we're giving him credit for. And and maybe we're just undervaluing him. Seems to me at this price point, you're gonna to wanna to be very cautious about investing here because if we just treat it from an investment standpoint and not even just forget about gambling, forget about mixed martial arts, put your smart hat on here for a second. You know, like, would you buy stock in something like for example, that has crypto lineage to it right now? Probably not. Everyone's off the crypto thing because they're going through a flux. It's not a good place to have your money. Okay, so when you look at certain investments, you're like, well, that's not a good place to be. Whereas, for example, other stocks, let's say maybe in the energy sector, energy is always good, right? So if you're talking about whether it's electric base, hydro companies, whatever the hell you're looking at, solar, put, put money in solar companies. They're not going anywhere but up, right? Okay. Do you want to put money at this price point into a fighter that's the same fighter as the other guy? There's really no advantages. This is volatile. You're basically putting money into crypto here and hoping that you're on the edge of it bouncing back. At this price point here, you need to be damn sure this is going to be worth your investment. You have to be 100% sure Nelson's going to pull this off. Not sure of that.
So can't figure it out. We did some digging. I've uh, I've talked to some people I know in the industry, and I've even heard most people saying that oh Barbarina can win the fight or like fifty fifty split. I'm like, well, that's what it should be like on the money line. So why is Nelson such a big favorite? If you hear this video, comment down below. Why is Nelson such a big favorite? We didn't see anything on film that suggested to us that either guy should be a lopsided, uh, uh, I guess, a lopsided favorite either way. We have bullseye on one thing. Barbarina's takedown defense and wrestling is not very good, and Nelson does good work there. God, okay. But is then Barbarina just a piece of poop everywhere else? I don't think so. He's a pretty good fighter, right? So Lions got us pretty confused. From a betting perspective, here's how we're going to attack this fight. Fight not going to distance Excuse me, at minus 230. Fight goes over a round and a half, though, at minus 165. So clearly we're designating that over a round and a half to end a round three. Durability, cardio, uh, um, fighter IQ, something gives. Both guys have done things at times in fights that are not very tactically smart, especially not for their health. In the case of Gunner, I watched him trying to chase a heel hook on a fighter. Guys just landing punches on him. I've seen him going head in, diving in for a double leg takedown. And then uh, that was Alex Oliveira. Oliveira cracks him on the side of the head with a few elbows and buckles him to the ground. Post-fight, you heard Nelson saying, oh, did he hit me in the back of the head with something? I was like, I know I was confused there for a second. And the, and the reporter tells him, oh, no, he elbowed you on the side of the head when you were trying to, oh, he's, oh. So, you know, there's both guys do things that are put themselves in danger. So that's why we imagine the fight does not go the distance. Full on investment, what we're going to put into this fight, no more than maybe a half a unit to three quarters unit at the most gets sprinkled out here over these props because we just don't have a lot of confidence in either guy. If you're dog hunting, one more thing, this would be a live dog. Man, this would definitely be a live dog. So we are taking Nelson to win the fight by decision. We think Barbarina holds up for three rounds, but gets tossed around, ragdolled enough, and Gunner gets the win in front of his people. Um, after all, Gunner is from Iceland. That's not in the United Kingdom, but, you know, kind of say similar territory, area, geography, part of the world, per se. Anyway, that's a breakdown, guys. Let's keep it moving. Moving up the main card, next fight's going to be between Justin Gaethje, who goes by the highlight, and Hafal Fiziev, who goes by Ottoman. This will be a light, lightweight excuse me, battle at 155 pounds. For Justin Gaethje, that nickname, the highlight, is very suitable. Matter of fact, the perfect nickname. He is always box office. He has no sense of self-preservation. He fights like the sun's not coming up tomorrow and just leaves it all in the octagon. It's an exciting fighting style. He's not someone you got to feel bad for because he will knock people out. Um, he's got this rocky mentality. Pretty smart guy, though. We'll talk more about his background when we get to his profile in a second. But, uh, yeah, any fight he's in, you're going to see fireworks. And nice matchup here because Fizia has got some striking skills, too. We should see some fireworks. And this probably doesn't go the full distance off the bat, I'll tell you that. We like Justin Gaethje to win the fight by knockout. That is our prediction. Now, Gaethje's currently lined at plus 175. He's a dog money dog money price already in the money line. 
But again, we like him to win by knockout, which is currently priced, excuse me, at plus 285. Okay, give you some details here in these two fighters. Justin Gaethje, 23 and 4, 3 and 2 in his last five fights, out of Colorado, 34 years old. 5'11, 3 inches taller than Fiziev. 70 inches, 1.5 inch reach on the side of Fiziev to his advantage. As for Justin Gaethje, trains out of Elevation Fight Team. Fiziev's out of Tiger Muay Thai, both out of incredible gyms. Fiziev is 30 years old, 4 years the junior. He's the current favorite, currently lined at minus 225. You can get Gaethje on the money line at plus 175. And Fiziev is 12-1 overall, currently 5-0 in his last five fights. So at first glance, if you know nothing about them, the tapologies are impressive for both. Justin Gaethje has four losses. They're against very good fighters. He has 23 wins, a very high winning percentage. So you don't get a lot from the initial preview there. Four years age difference. I mean, that's not a big difference. Both at you know top level gyms. So when you start drawing those comparisons with these guys, the first thing you start finding is there's not a big difference. And when you see that, you got to go then to the money line and say, well, then why is Fiziev minus two twenty five? Not sure. Not sure. You know, some props you like for this fight are the fight not going to decision. That's line at minus two twenty. That's reasonable as a parlay piece. We expect to see some violence. Fiziev at plus two fifty by decision. And then Gaethje by KO at plus 285. The under two and a half prop is not available. We might put that as well. Let's talk about some more numbers for these two fighters. For Justin Gaethje, 34 years old, again, out of Elation Fight Team, landing 7.46 strikes per minute. It's like a machine gun out there. <laughs> On the flip side, though, he absorbs 7.85. Oh, my God. Yeah, I love this guy's fighting style. Just did no sense of defense. <laughs> that rhymes. No sense of defense. So... Absorbing 7.85 strikes per minute. His average fight time is nine and a half minutes, so he's usually not seen the third round. Very good takedown defense, by the way. Justin Gaethje has 75% takedown defense, and he averages zero takedowns in the UFC. Has not registered a single takedown. And I got to stop there for a second and tell you, here's a guy who's a former state championship wrestler, um, college wrestler on scholarship. <laughs> My man actually graduated from college. That's what I'm going to say before. He has a bachelor's degree, very intelligent, from a small town, has a twin brother, and I believe his mother was born in Mexico, fully Mexican. Justin Gaethje is half Mexican. He's Mexican-American. You would never think it. He's got a twin brother, right? Anyway, that's just from backstory for you on this guy, Justin Gaethje. So for Gaethje, he's fought 27 total fights. If you combine everything from amateur, pro, exhibition, grappling, you put it together a lot more experience in the cage or on the mat than Fiziev. Justin's a man's man. Fans love him. His fight last year with Chandler was fucking wild. <laughs> it was stuff of legends. You can only get that kind of fight with a person like Justin Gaethje. And he showed you in that fight, incredible chin, incredible heart, and wants to put on the show for the people. He's got a special, unique fan base that really enjoys the way he fights. We mentioned before, decorated wrestler, so he can wrestle. That's why he's got 75% take on defense, but he doesn't do any offensive wrestling. He's also pretty durable. If you look at his career, you'll see some red and some submissions and eh, whatever. He's been knocked out on two occasions. And that was the last time was over five years ago. He's been submitted twice, but those were against like some really good opponents like Khabib, Namagomedov. He's he's okay. He kind of retired. He he finished with some like, undefeated record. And then some other guy named, uh, yeah, Oliveira, Charles Oliveira. He, he's he's okay. I heard he's pretty good from Brazil. Those are the two guys that submitted Justin Gaethje. Justin doesn't do the submission thing. <laughs> he doesn't fight in the ground. He's stand-up, stand-up only. That's his style. And fortunately for him, that's also the way Fiziev fights. 
This will be a perfect fight for the fans. You're going to love it. You love the also relaxed swagger of Justin Gaethje. I prefer the way he handles himself over the way some other fighters handle themselves. He's relaxed pre-fight. He's relaxed the press conference. Doesn't do any of the unnecessary fake promotional talking shit. He lets his hands do the talking. He still says a few quick, you know, little quip one-liners, and he's still crafty and intelligent. Everyone seems to like him. Trains with a lot of, you know, top fighters and so on and so on. I like his swagger. I like his swagger. And I think it allows him to deep down focus on what he's doing instead of getting distracted by all the noise. Now, our concerns here for Mr. Justin Gaethje, submission defense we mentioned before. He's not great at it. If he gets on the ground here with a good, or not here, but in any kind of fight with a good grappler, that seems to be his kryptonite. Win or die trying. That is his philosophy. So it looks wonderful for the fans. <laughs> but at times, Justin Gaethje is going to find himself in the short end of the stick. It's just a matter of numbers. And he fights with a reckless bandit or, or a reckless bandit, a reckless bandit. How do you, how do you say that phrase? Within a reckless, I don't He's reckless. <laughs> Excuse me. Excuse me again. <coughs> I'm trying to be cute. Now I'm coughing. Wrestling. Last thing on Justin. So Justin can wrestle, has credentials, refuses to wrestle. It's a low fighter IQ move by him. It's the same thing guys like Kevin Holland do where it's like, oh, I want to put on a show. I want to wrestle. Stand up. Let's stand up fight. And it's like, you know, okay, <clears throat> it's commendable. Just not good for your career and not good for your winning percentage, especially when you consider, again, he's got wrestling in his background. As for Fiziev, 30 years old, out of Tiger Muay Thai, switched stances, very fluid in his feet, excellent footwork. He average fight time is 11 minutes and basically about 12 minutes. 12 minutes is the average fight time for Hafiel Fiziev. He lands 4.81 strikes per minute, absorbs 4.86. That surprised me. So, you know, he's got a negative striking ratio. That really surprised me. I don't see Fiziev as the kind of guy who's bad with his stand-up defense, but when you watch him on film, he does trade a little bit too much. Like he's got power. He's got more faith in his power, I guess, and faith in his chin that he could take the counter punches, but he definitely could shore up his defense and improve that. I mean, bottom line, he's getting, fit, he's getting hit about five times per minute. That's just too much. Now he averages 0.36 takedowns per fight. So we talked before, not much of a takedown artist, 92% takedown defense. I don't think either guy even attempts a takedown here. And if the fight gets to the ground somehow, it's a slip or, or catching a kick or something unique. It's not going to be double leg takedowns and no, not their style. For Fiziev, if you combine his amateur career, pro and everything together, exhibition bouts, 14 total. Again, not nearly as much as his opponent here. The experience advantage is definitely the side of Justin Gaethje. For Fiziev, finishing ability. Three of his last four opponents he's fought, he's finished them. So you like that. He's, he's, he's displayed finishing ability and he's displayed it recently. The winning streak. So right now for Fiziev, he's looking to win his seventh UFC fight in a row in this matchup. That's impressive. He's also very durable. He's been finished one time in his career. It was an early round knockout and it was his UFC debut. Against a pretty good Russian. I forgot the guy's name. You can excuse him in that situation. His footwork, his footwork before, we, we talked about his footwork already. I'm sorry. Footwork is very good. He moves in out of range, circles his opponents, set up kicks. His footwork is much faster. He's more agile in the feet than Justin Gaethje. And then the strong kicking game from Fiziev. Fiziev kicks with a lot of power. He kicks strong to the body, to the head. Um, I mean, even if he kicks Gaethje hard, Gaethje's going to just, like, he's a mutant. He doesn't care. 
but he can do some damage to the body with those kicks. As for our concerns for Mr. Fiziev, negative striking ratio, we talked about that, so he needs to shore up his defense. Limited wrestling, which shouldn't be a problem in this fight, but just like his opponent here, neither guy really does any wrestling. In essence, they're both one-dimensional. They're just stand-up boxers cameoing as mixed martial artists, and that has a shelf life because at some point they're going to fight a fighter who can do both or maybe can just do the ground game very well and bring them to the ground. It's, you know, c'est la vie. Um, so, yeah, limited, limited wrestling and grappling is a bit of an issue, not for this fight, but just in general. And then before we mentioned before, defense, like defensive mentality. You could still have an offensive game plan. You could still knock people out and find finishes while having good defensive strategy. In the case of Fiziev, he's young at 30 years old. He's taking sometimes punches he doesn't have to take. That's dangerous against Justin Gaethje because Justin Gaethje's got a lot of power. So I'd like to see how far if he can win this fight to do it because he's using better stand-up defense um, and using smarter game plans, smarter tactics instead of standing and trading. All that said, we're going with Justin Gaethje to win. He's a live dog here at plus 175. We like him on the money line as a potential, like a crazy parlay, a three or four-legger where we got plus money in there. He's got more experience based upon our analysis. Fighter IQ-wise, I do have to give an edge to Fiziev because he fights a little smarter. Uh, Justin Gaethje, love him, love him or leave him, but a little too wild for our liking at times. When it comes to cardio, I do think also Fiziev has a small advantage there because of the way Justin fights again. He tends to gas himself out. Um, he's good for round one, two. He'll survive the full distance, but he, he, he can look sloppy when he gets tired. Finishing ability, that's on the side of Justin Gaethje. Even though we just talked about three win, three of the last four wins for Fiziev being finishes, I think Justin is the, actually the one who's packing more power in his punches and could actually be the person finding the knockout here before Fiziev. Striking-wise, very similar. I think, I think Fiziev's got more volume. He's quicker. He's more like a butterfly. He's got better combinations, technique, but power is on the side of Justin Gaethje. And when it comes to grappling, I do give a small edge to Justin Gaethje. We already talked to you about before. He doesn't do any offensive grappling, but has good takedown defense and has a resume of good wrestling. So if it were to hit the ground, he knows his way around the ground. I think he has a small advantage in that area. So anyway, last few notes here. The props we like, the fight not going to distance, minus 220, under two and a half. That price is not available, but we'll look to play that prop as well. The KO by Justin Gaethje at plus 285. Take a look at like KO round one, round two, or even round three, just to see what those prices are like for, for Justin Gaethje. We'll look at those as well. And then the last prop to consider there is if you like Fiziev, we think it's by decision because Justin is very durable. He's got enough of a gas tank to get through. He's proved that before. He's got look, if he goes full distance with Michael Chandler in that kind of fight, I don't know that Hafel Fiziev has that. You know, that's why we're also going with Justin Gaethje. I don't know that half, I don't know if any man has that in them. That was crazy what Michael Chandler and Justin Gaethje did last year. Like that fight took years off of their life. And they did it with a smile on their face. And they, you know, got dropped and got back up. I mean, were they acting? I'm just joking. That fight was crazy. And so I don't know that Howfield has that kind of dog in him. We know Justin does. Um, you could also say this though. Justin fighting that way is taking years off of his life. <laughs> and so he's, you know, getting, you know, it's going to add up over time. At some point, he's going to hit the wall. He probably finishes his career the same way like Cowboy Cerrone, those kind of guys where it's like he just melts at some point. I think it just knocked out every single one of his last four or five fights. But we don't see it happen here. We're going with Justin Gaethje to win the fight. The underdog to win by a knockout in round two. That's our prediction. Let's keep it moving.
main event time. Welterweight title is on the line. Of course, Leon Edwards is the title holder, defending his belt for the first time in the trilogy. The third time they're fighting, Mr. Kamara Usman, who obviously lost the title last year to Edwards. Unless you were hiding under a rock last year or just became a mixed martial arts fan, it's one of the biggest fights last year, probably. Yeah, P pretty much biggest fight. Leon Edwards knocks out Usman in the final round with an amazing kick. Final minute of the fight, I mean, just storybook ending to the night. Takes the crown away from Usman. Usman was on the cusp of, like, breaking the longest standing or most defenses of a title in the UFC and whatever, whatever. But uh, anyway, before we get to this breakdown, we'll give you our pick out the gate. We like Kamaru Usman to win the fight by decision. It's not really a hot take. It's not breaking news. I'd imagine most people out there are either taking him by decision or looking at Leon Edwards by decision, or maybe Edwards again by TKO. We'll talk about those props too, because Edwards is definitely live to win. At plus 205, he's kind of getting a little disrespected. You'd think a guy who beat this dude last time and beat him in such exciting fashion, and he is the champion, and he is fighting at home, may find himself a little bit more in the closer, excuse me, at least a pick -em range, if not maybe even the favorite, right? It shows you, though, how much... You know, the MMA community respects Kamaru Usman, how much they value what he did in the beginning part of that last fight before he got knocked out. And just the perception. Perception's scary, though, right? Perception is that Kamaru Usman is better. He he got, you know, knocked out by a fluke kick, and he would have won the fight. He was less than a minute away. And we're going to talk about those perceptions in his breakdown. All that said, we think if Kamaru Usman uses an intelligent game plan, he could find a decision here and maybe even find it in a more... I'm going to say dominant fashion because he was dominant in some parts of that last fight, but maybe a safer, safer path to victory, right? Okay, so for Edwards, look, the guy deserves all the praise in the world. That knockout, it wasn't lucky. It wasn't lucky. There was some good review of that fight afterwards. People dissected it, and you saw that Edwards was setting things up with feints. He was starting to read the movement of Kamara. Kamara was reacting to a feint, ducking down. Then Edwards hits him, you know, off of a combination. It was a kick after a, a hand faint temp. Knocks out Usman, and it was one shot. <laughs> it was one hit to the head. But uh, I want to make sure I underline, not lucky. Uh, I, he doesn't deserve that. He's too good of a striker. He knows what he's doing. He's got a good lethal kicking game. He's hurt other people before. So, yeah, you know, don't think for a second, by the way, that Usman is getting too old, by the way. People have made this out there that, that are, oh, you know, maybe no, Usman's not too old. He's just fine. He very well can get his crown back and restart a winning streak. Now, Usman, one of the most mentally focused fighters you ever could imagine. Clean lifestyle, very disciplined lifestyle outside the cage, close with his daughter and his family, mom and dad, so on and so on. You never hear about him in the news, any kind of funny business. Again, just a family man. His wrestling... Bonafide, former collegiate wrestler. His striking is underrated. If Usman were to knock out Edwards, I would not be surprised at all. And I say this because he's knocked out people like Jorge Masvidal with one punch. Completely cold knockout, sleeping. Like I had to wake up this man, a man who's been in a ton of fights in his life, bare, bare knuckle and everything. And with eight ounce gloves, Usman sent him to Never Never Land. He broke Colby Covington's jaw. <laughs> he dropped Covington a few times. Covington said what you want. He's a tough bastard. 
Usman's got hands. Now, do I think he should get involved with the hands fighting back and forth and striking with Leon? No. I think he should learn his lesson from that first, the last fight, I mean. But if Usman were to connect on the right overhand and the right shot and knock out Edwards, wouldn't surprise me the least bit. As for Edwards, he's still probably riding the emotional high of being the champion, the welterweight champion in the world and the amazing knockout. Now, I'm not saying he's riding the high and, and distracted. I'm just saying he still must be like, wow, I can't, waking up in the morning. like He did a few interviews after the fight and talked about how, man, my life has changed so much and financially and, and everything, every which way, right? Because not just the money he gets from the win in UFC, but sponsorships, things back home. Next thing you know, every high-class restaurant in UK wants you to come and dine for free, and every high-class hotel wants you to come and stay with your, you know, you get some perks, right? But we are in no way suggesting that Edwards is not working hard or taking the rematch lightly or distracted. If anything, he's another guy who's very disciplined, another guy who has a clean lifestyle outside the cage. Uh, You hear him talk, somewhat professional, sounds educated, Uh, the accent helps, right? (laughs) Sounds like... He sounds like he's uh, of royalty. He's a guy who we expect to come in here in tip-top shape. He earned his last fight. He earned the win. He's he's an elite fighter. He's proved all that now. His striking is top-notch. He will need that striking. He'll need that elite striking in this rematch. He can't depend upon a one-punch knockout. He needs to put together a game plan that involves winning three of the five rounds, more output, pushing a higher pace, you know, getting the crowd behind him. He's got to be a little more effective early in the fight because he got himself way behind in the scorecards. Going into round five, even his corner was telling him, dude, you need to finish at this point. And Usman, he sort of knew where he was at, right? Got a little sloppy, got a little cocky, and caught a, a shin bone to the face. <laughs> Didn't knock him out. You see the memes out there of Usman. He knocked Usman into um, into a still statue. Eyes were still wide open, just looking straight up in the air and frozen in time. One of the best fights I've ever watched. <laughs> and this fight right here, this trilogy, will be one of the best fights of this year. Win, lose, or draw, the fans in England are going to be in for a treat. We're going with Usman for practical reasons. Here's why. He won almost every part of the first fight. When I say almost every part, I thought he dropped a round, so it was like 3-1 going into the fifth. That was based upon our estimation. Even if he dropped that last round, still should have won. Four minutes into the final round, a minute to go. He's in complete cruise control. And bam, the time bomb just goes off. The mixed martial arts time bomb. It's like enough time goes by in a mixed martial arts fight, something crazy is bound to happen. (laughs) And boom, the bomb went off. The kick fell around the world. You know what I mean? But when you look at it from a practical standpoint, Usman was winning that fight. He also won their first fight. So if you're looking at it from that perspective, Usman was that close. And the perfect kick was required to knock this man off of his reign, off of his throne. A guy who was in the pound-for-pound conversation. We've heard all this pound-for-pound talk recently with Islam and, and Volkanovski and that, that, that. 
my man right here, Usman, is going to be right back in that conversation if he gets his belt back, and deservingly so, <laughs> if, if, he, if he does it. We think Usman wins the fight going away. It reminds us, and he it reminds all of us in the process of why he's one of the pound-for-pound pound best that ever did it. And I think the English fans, though they may not like the initial impact of the loss, <laughs> I believe Usman will be gracious in in his victory and even with some booze, we'll still, I think, be polite to the fans. And who knows? I mean, who knows? I mean, still there might be some fans there for Usman as well. But I, I imagine Edwards being from England, the bulk of the fans would be cheering for uh, him. If the fight goes to the ground, by the way, for long periods of time and Edwards can't get up, those fans would be booing. Maybe the referee stands him up quickly. I don't know. The betting spots we like the most for this fight are the fight starts round three. That's very chalky. That'll be a, a parlay piece. That's minus 430. Fight starts round three. Fight goes the distance is minus 175. That's a little surprising. A five-rounder. Two guys with definitely some finishing power. Their last fight didn't go the distance. But again, when you're practically thinking about this, that fight was so close to going the distance. And hence, the lines put out there at minus 175 for the fight going the distance. Usman by decision at plus 110. I do like that. A lot of rounds though, right? Five rounds, a lot of time. We'll also throw Usman into at least one parlay on the money line. For those looking to back Edwards, why not take a stab at him by knockout at plus 500? Why not? You can raise the question of, is Usman the same after that? That was definitely that kind of knockout that you know you look back on yeah, man, he was never the same after that knockout. That wasn't a knockout where fast stoppage or he got a cut or he was up against, like, is he Adesanya? His last fight against Pereira, he was starting to get beat up against the fence and, you know, he was wobbling in the wind and referee stands in there. It's like, okay, it wasn't that bad. Uh, that kick that Edwards delivered to my man Usman, oh, yeah. Oh yeah, no, no, that was that was the kind of kick that could change everything. Send your whole equilibrium off for life. Break part of your chin in a way that is never fixable. Things that you almost can't measure. Like there's no measuring tape for that one. Like how come a fighter doesn't have the same durability after they've been cracked once or twice? How come Marlon Marias can't get through three rounds? He gets hit, it's over. No, f and he's unique because Marlon Marias gets knocked out with no facial damage. How does that? How does this happen? <laughs> Have to at least consider that because if this fight were to end by another knockout in favor of Leon Edwards, I'm here to tell you we could even see Usman retire on the spot. Now I know that's nowhere near his head. But what if he gets knocked out in round one or round two? And it looks like that. And it looks like that. Where it's like... Just saying. We don't think lightning's going to strike twice. But that plus 500 prop there for Edwards by knockout, it, it, it needs some attention. Okay. Just a summary again. We like Usman to win the fight. Maybe not the most exciting fight at times, probably by decision, 
lots of takedowns, position control, gets his crown back, and uh, and then lines up the next opponent. Maybe Leon Edwards and him fight a fourth time. Who knows? All right, guys, let's move on to our outro. We'll do a summary of everything here in our outro piece. Keep it moving. And we're at the end of the episode here, guys. We'll give you a quick summary of our picks to win along with giving you a few quick pointers and some promos before we get out of here. On that note, here are your swift picks for UFC 286. At the top, we like Usman by decision. Gaethje, second round knockout. Nelson by decision. Jennifer Maya, underdog to win by split decision. Marvin Vittori by decision. Jack Shore by a round two submission. Omar Morales by decision. Yanel Ajmov, underdog to win by decision. Mohamed Mokayev, big favor here to win by a round two submission over Phil Hill. Gabriel Santos to win by decision as an underdog. Second round knockout for Christian Leroy Duncan over Dusko Torovich. Jake Halley to win by a second round submission. Joanne Wood by decision. Ludovic Klein by decision. And the first fight in the card, Juliana Miller to win the fight by a second round knockout. Those are your swift picks for UFC 286. Okay, let's talk here a few details. Number one, there was some dogs in this entire card. We kind of talked about them throughout the entire breakdown, but I want to highlight these dogs for you. First one is Gabriel Santos. Line currently at plus 140 up against Leron Murphy. Murphy's the hometown guy. There's good reason to like him. He is the better striker. But if you go back and listen to our full breakdown, Gabriel Santos has some takedown ability, wrestling ability, and Murphy has looked not good on the ground. There is a path. There is a window. Plus 140, undefeated fighter. Has a win against a guy who's currently in the UFC. There's enough there that we might want to take a look here. So that's a fighter we're looking at to win the fight, but he's not a dog or pass play for us. We're choosing him to win the fight outright at plus 140. We're going to play him like a half unit straight up to win like whatever, three quarters of a unit around that range. We're not going to you know back up the bank truck on this, right? Yanel Ajimov, another dog. He's at plus 225 against Sam Patterson. Again, we went through that entire breakdown. Uh, yeah, I like Sam Patterson. It's not that we... You know, feel like he can't be a good fighter, but there's just so much room there for improvement. And we talked about in the breakdown that, you know, Yanal Ajmov has enough technique and enough savvy that he can make this a fight. Next, you know, he's on Sam Patterson's back, the body lock, eating up time. Smart fighter at plus 225. We're going to get a piece of that. So those are the two dogs that we like on the undercard. On the main card, we like Justin Gaethje at plus 175 and then Brian Barberina at plus 325. Now, we're not betting on Brian Barberina at plus 325, but we're highlighting it because, you know, it's disrespectful. Gunnar Nelson's a good fighter, but Barberina, he, he's a warrior, man. He's battle-tested. He's not going to be an easy out. And if Gunnar Nelson gets sloppy, the fight season defeat too long, or maybe he gets caught coming in with something, um, you know, it's going to be trouble for him. So that plus 325 line is something to at least consider. But we are choosing Gunnar Nelson to win that fight. Uh, by a decision, we're just going to be back and forth. Maybe both guys have a few moments. So on the main card, the two dogs we like the most are Brian Barbarena, Justin Gaethje, and then the third one is going to be Jennifer Maya. Now, she's barely a dog at plus 150. You know, when you're in that range of like plus 150, it's like you're not really a dog, but you're still kind of a dog. So those are three dogs that we like on the main card. And again, summarizing all our dogs in total, we like Gaethje to win, Barbarena to win, Maya to win. On the prelim card, we like Yanel Ashmov to win. Gabriel Santos to win. And so those are the five dogs in the card that we are giving a shout out to as a chance to possibly pull it off. We see dogs every week, right? Every single card has a dog. I think the Grasso card, right? That was the um, Gone versus Jones card. Every favorite on that card won except for Shevchenko, except for, and she was one of the biggest favorites behind Bo Nickel, of course, right? 
But every card, we see some dogs. This card, it seems like there's a few more dogs than usual. We got some split props out there, like the Jack Shore versus Makwana Marikani fight. That could go to a split. The Joanne Wood versus Luana Carolina. Duh. Female fight. Split pop possibility there. A little bit Klein versus Jay Herbert. We see that possibly going to a split. On the main card, the main event, Usman versus Leon Edwards. Could we see a split there? There's going to be fans in attendance. You get some close rounds. Uh, Casey O'Neill versus Jennifer Maya. Another fight where we possibly could see a split decision of some kind. And so that's your breakdown, guys, for UFC 286. Hopefully you enjoyed this breakdown. You found it helpful for yourself. A few quick plugs before I let you guys go. Number one, subscribe to our newsletter. That's that's absolutely a must. It's mandatory. If you're here still listening, you must do that because free information, tip sheets, written breakdowns, resource tools. If you're just a casual gambler on mixed martial arts, or maybe you're more of an avid mixed martial arts fan, or maybe you're doing breakdowns of your own, just want to few more tools to throw into your toolbox. The newsletter is what you need as part of your arsenal. It's free, number one, comes out once or twice a week, depends on many events we have. So like this week coming up, our newsletter subscribers are gonna receive three total emails. The first one that came out was for Invicta FC, which is gonna be coming up on Wednesday. That's one email with everything in it, full card breakdown, links to the video breakdowns like this, um, links to any Swift pick videos, reminders that it's available via podcast, along with uh, resource links to our data sheets, film library, written notes breakdown. Everything is all there for you guys in the newsletter. The links are all there. Everything's free. There is no subscribing. There's no paywalls. There's no different levels of it. So right now, go down below here on YouTube. The first link available in our description is going to be the link for our Substack newsletter. Substack, if you don't know, is the platform. You could download the Substack app on your phone. Super easy, free. And now when you get a notification from us, it goes to your phone app. You open up the message and you can see, oh, here's the full card breakdown for UFC 286. Written format, nice and detailed, lots of stats. Now, if you're not big in reading and you don't like newsletters, which is kind of like me, then just scroll past all the writing in the newsletter, go right to the very bottom where you have the full tip sheet. All of our bets for that entire card, our individual bets, our parlay bets, some specials, some prop bets, all in there for you. Super duper neat. You know how much we're betting on each individual spot and how much we could win. After the events are over, we update those tip sheets. So if you go back in, for example, and look at our newsletter, which you can go in there now and look at it even without subscribing. That's another thing that's kind of cool. Take a free peek before you just decide to subscribe, right? So go to our newsletter. You can go and look at past events. You'll see the tip sheet. You'll see the tip sheets are all updated. If we won or we lost, negative or positive results, we keep track of everything there. You can always download the information or screenshot it and, and try to audit us and see if we're, we're cheating at it all, which we would never do. <laughs> it's very transparent. It's a great way of doing third-party tracking. So yes, subscribe to our Substack newsletter. Great content. This week, our subscribers are gonna receive three emails. They'll receive the UFC 286, that full packet. They'll receive the Invicta FC 52 packet. And then we'll probably send out one more message throughout the later part of the week for maybe a few fights on Cage Warriors that might find themselves available like on DraftKings or FanDuel. So yes, the Substack newsletter, that's your way of supporting our channel, supporting our content, and also getting access to just hours and hours and hours of research and information that can help you make sharper bets this weekend. So that's number one. Number two, our Google Drive. That link is down below. Now that is related a little bit to our newsletter, but it's a separate resource. That link is in our description down below. It's like the second or third link down below. Just go there and check it out. It's very self-explanatory. You open up that link, takes you to a new window, and you'll see folders there for the upcoming events that we've broken down for you guys. So like Invicta FC 52 is a folder you'll see. And if you open it, 
you'll see a Word document for a breakdown for each fight on the card. You can open those Word documents, download them, copy, paste. You can do everything but edit them, okay? In, there, in that folder for UFC, I'm sorry, Invicta FC52, you also find the data sheet with the film library. Open that up. It's an Excel sheet. Tons of information in there. Fighter ratings, the prop bets we like, their records, their age, uh, their kryptonite, what they're just not good at, the thing that we've identified as their biggest issue or their biggest red flag, and then the film links. We saved you tons of time by putting together the film links on the right side of the Excel sheet, which are the prior fights that they've fought. So you can go click those links, open them up, and actually watch some prior fights of these fighters as well. That's all available in our data sheet, which is, again, accessible through our Google Drive. Now, that link to the Google Drive is also in our newsletter. So if we put a newsletter out for, let's say, Invicta FC 52 that went out on Monday, in that newsletter, there'll be a link that says, here's the Google Drive link, here's a link to the video breakdown, so on and so on. So we try to keep all this together as a big loop, but check out these tools. They're free tools. They're there for you guys. Um, and if you want to give us feedback, how we can make them better, give us some comments, suggestions, here's a good place to do it. Do it right here on YouTube or follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram, send us a direct message if you think it's too sensitive of a comment for the public sphere, whatever the case may be. But those are the ways you can support our channel. And of course, if you're still here listening at this point, you love this content. You love this content. You need to like and subscribe if you haven't done that already. Okay, guys, thank you so much for joining us for this breakdown for UFC 286. Best of luck this weekend. Um, we have a lot coming up. We've got a few pre-fight shows this week. So if you're looking for some more content, Wednesday pre-fight show, 8.30 for Invicta FC. Live watch party at 9 o'clock. Friday pre-fight show, 8.30 p.m. for PFL Challenger Series, 9 o'clock p.m. watch party. And then we'll be also releasing our next episode of The Devil's Details. And then on Sunday night, we go live with our next episode of episode 10 of Mid Midnight MMA. So looking forward to that. A lot on tap, a lot of content. Please like, please subscribe. Feedback is important. And we'll see you guys soon. Deuces.